Welcome to Let's Give a Damn, friends. On this podcast, we bring you the stories and wisdom of people who saw something wrong in the world and gave a damn about it. I'm Nick LaPara, and I am absolutely thrilled you're here. Today, we have a wonderful human and damn giver, Josh Radner, on the podcast. Most of you may recognize that name from a popular show called How I Met Your Mother, but more on that in a moment. Before we talk about our guest, let's talk about you and me and us. I've been away for a month or two on a break. After the tragic loss of one of my closest friends in the world, I decided to take some time to grieve and breathe and reevaluate a shit ton of things, honestly. But we are back. I did put out one or two monologue episodes, one in November and one on New Year's Day. But we are back with conversations from damn givers of all kinds. And I couldn't be more thrilled to get back in the game. I missed speaking to you. I missed speaking with amazing people and sharing those conversations with you. So glad to be back. So anyway, back to Josh Radner. Josh is most widely known for his role on How I Met Your Mother as Ted Mosby. Full disclosure, I am not a How I Met Your Mother fan. I've probably watched 15 minutes of that show ever. My wife and brother, huge fans. That's probably the 15 minutes I did watch was walking through the room when they were watching it. But a couple of years ago, I heard a conversation Josh had with Pete Holmes on Pete's podcast. It was a great conversation, and I realized Josh is super smart and thoughtful. But toward the end of their conversation, they talked about porn, and Josh's take intrigued me and resonated deeply with me. So back then, I reached out to him and asked him to be on the show so we could talk about porn and a bunch of other things. He agreed to be on the show, and that's when we started a two-year-long game of tag and I could never seem to catch up with him. I would say, hey, Josh, I'm going to be in L.A. for these days to record podcasts. Are you in? He'd say, I'm in New York working on some show. Then a couple months later, I would say, hey, dude, I'm going to be in New York on these dates. And he would say, I'm back in L.A. working on another thing. But it finally worked. He finally came all the way to me. He came, just, he came all the way to Nashville just to hang out with me. That's not true at all. That's a lie. But you'll hear him talk about why he was here. And we got to catch up for a couple of hours on this conversation that you're about to hear. By the way, side note, do you want longer conversations or do you want shorter conversations? Because I just said that this one's gonna be over two hours. Here's the deal. Longer conversations are always better for getting like truly into it. We are able to go deeper. We're able to really push into questions and issues, but they are long. Shorter conversations are good for your daily commute or whatnot, but they remain largely surface level at 30 minutes or 40 minutes in length. So I genuinely would like to hear from you. We have some really amazing guests lined up for this year. Hit me up on Twitter or Instagram or shoot me an email, hello at nicklapara.com. Let me know if you want more shorter or longer conversations. At the end of the day, I'm going to take what you share with me. It's important to me, but I'm going to take it with a a grain of salt, as it were, because I really want this to, I want, I want to feel these conversations out. And typically they get really, really good after an hour, 15, hour and 30 minutes into it. But I do want to hear what you have to say, what's better for you guys. So let me know as soon as possible what you want. Okay. Well, in this conversation, Josh and I discuss Ramdas, spirituality, pornography, giving a damn, his career, and so very much more. Uh, ready or not, here it comes. Thanks for listening, friends. And here is my conversation with the wonderful Josh Radner. So what are you, what are you doing here? Music stuff, I assume, or maybe not. 
yeah I'm, I'm doing some co-writes with people and um also talk about this in the podcast but i'm you can even I, pour in the if, if you, you can pour no in i'd rather do this can, okay. yeah. yeah um i've been having like a nashville thing in my head just like go to nashville i don't know why yeah so i saw a window and i was like you're gonna take it i'm gonna go and then and then it was like one of those things where um like uh everyone that i talked to was like oh my best friend lives in nashville or songwriters i reached out to everyone was like yeah i'm gonna be there let's write you know awesome so it just has been super cool i think you were with one of my friends spencer crandall oh Is yeah that, you know yeah, spencer yeah yeah we wrote two songs together nice yeah he's a great guy yeah he's great and uh i like the songs we wrote he's really talented he's he really is. good like he's got a real vibe he um i i I didn't know him back when I first found out. Well, I guess I do didn't know him. Do you want to start so we can talk about all this? Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we I did start. Oh, you let's did? Let's get the levels, and then oh, we okay. can, we'll keep in whatever we... You can, yeah. you can put it on or not. I don't... It's up to you. How's your uh, mic? Like, or how... Can you hear everything? I can hear everything, yeah. Is that going to work? Okay. I think so. Okay. And can you hear me as well? Yeah. Let me just make sure... Let me eat one of these off the you record. Can have, you can have all, all of them. Um, I didn't know if you were like gluten or whatever, so I was like, this kind of checks all the boxes. It's sweet. Oh. It's uh, gluten free. It's yeah. All the anyone good stuff. coming from LA, you're like, yeah, exactly. Gotta be sure. <laughs> no, we're one of the oddballs here that are like, we're we're vegetarian and we're mostly vegan family with three kids, and we love it. And it made more. We before before we lived here, we lived in just south of Seattle in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. And coming here was a big change because there aren't a lot of. It's becoming a little more LA and New York ish in terms I'm of. I'm right options. by the Wild Cow though. Yeah, Wild Cow is amazing. That place is great. But that's only one of. So Wild Cow is one of, uh, like three really good veggie vegan spots in the whole city. Where right. you know in LA there you throw a rock and you hit one. Yeah. Here there's there's Sunflower Cafe, Wild Cow, Grays. Yeah, I've been to Grace. And, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's it in terms of these places catered to people uh, that yeah. eat that way. So it's an interesting city to live in as people that are a little more health conscious. But we're making it It's work. not a dieter's paradise, Nashville. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Like when I got here, I realized like, okay, you're just going to work out a lot in January and get your food under control because it's not going to happen here. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's not, not that way. Um, so yeah, Spencer is, uh, he's, he, he used social media really well. I, he my does, buddy is yeah. his, my buddy is his manager. Oh, I met that guy. Yeah. yeah. We were at the uh, listening room together. Yep. Um, great, great Jeff Cherry. Great, great dude. The great duo. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he just used social media really well coming from, I, I assume he didn't, he wasn't well known. He didn't have any, and he just used it. He just used social media incessantly and now has this huge kind of cult yeah, following. Yeah. I, I think he, um, I think he has a bright future ahead of him. Like, I, like the way. You, you know, some people are creatively like um, they just throw themselves in full, yep. full force. Yep. And he's like that. And I'm kind of like that, but I'm also like it's been interesting working with Ben Lee all these years because we have totally different speeds in terms of like he'll he'll be like, you know, let's record a video and throw it up online immediately. And I'm like, let's do five versions and pick the best and edit it and maybe sleep on it. And then maybe we'll throw it up sure. tomorrow just because I'm. Like I'm always toggling between being an introvert and an extrovert. Yeah. And there are people that are just like, hey world, y- you know, like this is yeah. my Instagram story for the yep. day. And I just can't do that. You don't do I, that. I, 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 
I find that it's not even like obsessive privacy, although I am a fairly private person and I'm weirdly self-disclosing all at the same time. Sure. It's just like these tensions in my yeah. life, you know? And I sometimes, like I look at someone like Spencer, or I wrote a couple songs with this awesome guitarist, songwriter, Molly Tuttle. Do you know Molly Tuttle? I've heard of her. I don't yeah, know she's her. she's amazing. We yeah. wrote two really good songs together. And I and I said, the first one we filmed us singing it together and the second one I just filmed her singing it. And... um the, both her and Spencer, and maybe, you know, they're younger than me, but they're like, sure, of course, not only can you film this, like, of course you can film this. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, yep. it's just assumed that, like, we're going to, we're going to put something out. My face is going to be on it. Like, I don't, I don't know why I'm still a little shy around all that. Do you think it's generational? Because there's, it might be. I mean, the, the highest paid YouTubers are kids. Like literally, it's an eight-year-old kid, twenty-six million dollars last year. Yeah, and he just like he's eight years old, reviews toys, just does dumb it's shit insane. on yeah. YouTube. And you've got the the Paul brothers, right, who have made millions and millions of dollars on YouTube, just yeah. acting like total idiots all right, the time. Right. And I I don't know, maybe people that didn't know life before social media, maybe they just uh, I don't know, I just don't it, give a shit. I think it has something to do with also like growing up online, and then also like. Um, you know, uh, they've done these surveys on like privacy with, with, with like oh, yeah. who cares about privacy yep. and like they younger don't. people don't care about it because they've given away their information from day one. Yep. So that, that's not a concern of theirs, yep. which is super strange. I mean, if you actually think like I get, <laughs> you know, everyone's doing 23 and me and I have this weird paranoia. I won't do it. I have this weird paranoia. Like, I don't know that the government or whoever should have our genetic material. I think they're going to start framing people for murders. Yeah. <laughs> you know no. I mean? Well, like, you know, somewhere in the, weird. somewhere in the, in the fine print, they, you agree to sell all of your shit to, I they know. can sell to as many people as they want to. I know. Right? And do you ever read those things? Like I click no. agree to terms yep. on everything. And I know that 23 me and ancestry.com, they're all they're making twice or three times the amount of money on you because they just go and sell it to whoever, you know, the government or I, I don't know. I don't know who gets it, but it's, yeah, I will not do it. My brother did it. It's fascinating to see, well, a few of my siblings have, and it's fascinating to see, I guess I'm similar to their makeup, I guess, with very little variance, but I'm like, I won't do it. I, I'd rather not. I feel like this podcast is going to descend into like a bunker libertarian secessionist. It's going to go all over the place. We're yeah, going to talk yeah. pornography. We're going to oh, okay, talk sure. giving a damn. We're going to talk your, some of your career Ramdas. I've got, I've got okay. a lot of thoughts. Okay, I've got a great. few scribbled notes, but a lot of thoughts great, because great, I've, great. I've been well. Let, let, yeah, let's just let's just get into it because I have so much that I want to. Can I can I ask you? I haven't done a. I, I know I, I I knew enough about you to say yes to this. Yeah, just because well, I, I thought you, you you seemed like you were interested in areas that I was interested in. But like, what brought you to this? Like, where where have you been? And your listeners probably know this, but yeah. So uh, I I had a, my first career was fourteen years in the nonprofit world. Okay, uh, all over the world, mostly in the Christian nonprofit space. Um, I did all kinds of things, orphan work, water projects, tons of things. Yeah. And um, I left that world three years ago because I am very tired of the nonprofit world. And yeah. I'm also not as uh, bullish on it. I think there are better ways to do a lot of the work that we're trying to get done. Yeah. And so I left it to see, to try my hand at being an entrepreneur. And so we that's that happened simultaneously with leaving Tacoma, Washington, to move here, to be closer to our families. We yeah. never wanted to live in the South, but this is a great city closer to our families. Yeah. And I, I wanted to 
in my quest to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, we had a little bit of money and savings, three kids, moved here with nothing. Like I had no prospects right. other than this small network that I was going to grow. And um, I said, well, I want to learn people's stories. I want to hear people's stories, hear what they're doing, what excites them, what they give a damn about. And I had this, the, the previous year I had, I had kind of received this revelation, let's give a damn, because people use give a damn uh, mostly in a, in, or they use give a damn mostly in a derogatory way. Like yeah. I don't give a damn about something. Right. And I wanted to put a positive spin and also a community spin on it. Let's give a damn. Yeah. Uh, it's not just me telling you to go do something. I want to do it with you. Like let's do this together. Right. And so it just started and I had some uh, good fortune. I got blessed early on. Some friends shared some of their connections. And so I had, um, uh, Rain Wilson agreed to be on episode like, yeah, I think it was 10. Mm-hmm. So really early on and went out and met him and he's been very generous and kind with me over yeah, the he's years. A nice guy. He's a yeah. very nice guy. He and his wife Holiday are both amazing. And I just uh yeah, felt like I wanted to just keep doing it, keep doing. It. I didn't know what the end was. What was like going to 10 20 and we've done 100 and something now. Wow. And it's turned into there's a consulting arm of Let's Give a Damn where we help companies uh figure out how to holistically and strategically uh, impact the world instead of just like year end gifts and like haphazard volunteer days. Yeah. I also speak under this brand and, uh, we're starting local chapters kind of a la creative mornings, local, let's give a damn chapters all over the place right now. That's awesome. We've got about 10 or 12 cities on board, hoping to hit 50 by the end of next year, get people, you know, instead of just listening and absorbing the information, like actually doing stuff because they want to be, there's something about this brand that people, I haven't fully figured it out yet. It's still very small in the grand scheme of the world and things, but people seem to want to be a part of let's give a damn. It's something that they're attracted to. So right. trying to figure out how to maximize our impact. And yeah. Um, so that's kind of how, and I, I, the, the thing I was listening to you on Pete Holmes, mm-hmm. uh, four years ago, yeah. 2015. Mm-hmm. And I remember, so I did not, I'm not a How I Met Your Mother guy. Sure. I don't think I've ever watched an episode. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> I prefer it that way. <laughs> my, my wife and brother, they they fanatically yeah, watched yeah. it, and they were so pissed at the ending. Yeah. They were, I don't know, I don't know where people fare on how the thing wrapped up, yeah. but they were two that were uh, big fans of the whole show, big fans of yours, your character, but like they were, they, they were at the end, like, you know, fists up in the air, like how, why, why did it end that way? So they were big fans of it. But then, so I didn't know, I knew who you were just generally, yeah. oh, you're on How I Met Your Mother and some other stuff. But then I heard you on that podcast and toward the, well, a lot of things in there, you're talk about, you know, you talked about your spirituality and many things through there that attracted me. Yeah. But in the last like 20 minutes of the episode, you guys talked about porn, like it just <laughs> talked about porn. And I thought... Man, I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about that with Josh at some point. Sure. So that's when I reached out, which okay. was like a year and a half ago. Yeah. And so can I can I share something with you about please. Um, when you were talking about being in the nonprofit space for yep. so long? Uh, have you ever heard? You, do you know the poet David White? No. He's a, I think he's Irish, but or Irish or British, but he's an incredible poet, and um, he tells this story. It might have been on on being. I'm sure you've heard that. Oh yeah, podcast. Yeah. Tibbet. Amazing. Um, I'm gonna write that name. You said David White. Yeah, W H Y T E. Phenomenal poet. Uh, his poems are just incredible. But he he was working in the nonprofit space, like in his twenties, and because he wanted to help the world, sure. save the world, and he was exhausted in a in a way that was almost like it was like this bone deep exhaustion. But it was like he was confused. He wasn't making sense. Uh, sense his his orders to his team were like it was. Yeah. He was just off the rails, exhausted, 
And he was having drinks one night with this Benedictine uh, monk named David Stendhal Rust, who's a really interesting guy. And they were, I think they like got together and like, <laughs> you know, like read scripture and drink. Sure. You know, that was that's, like how that's they, not a bad, how, not how a bad they, thing. How they hung out. And um, uh, the, the, the monk, David uh, Rust, told him, um, he said, you know, David, uh, the cure or the, anti- the, the, the cure for exhaustion is not always rest. The cure for exhaustion is probably, in your case, wholeheartedness. And he said, you want to be a poet, but you're in the nonprofit space. And if you find the thing that you can throw your whole heart in, you won't be exhausted anymore. Yeah. You'll just have limitless reserves of energy. And I found that I found that to that's be amazing. true for me. And, and a lot of other people I tell that to are like, oh, no, that's true. Like when you're fully engaged in a way that you're passionate and you love it, you can work around the clock. Yep. Like if I've got my hooks in a song, like I don't want to go to sleep or a script. Yep. yep. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I just oh, have yeah. energy for it. Yep. And it's the, it's the times where you're um, when you're doing a should like I should be doing this or I should like this. Yep. Like sometimes your, your, your energy just get completely, you get depleted. You know? Yeah. That's, that's actually fantastic. And I want to go find that conversation and I want to learn more about white, but for me it was that, but, it, and it was also, I was just sick of accomplishing someone else's dreams. Oh yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. So I do you, are you into the Enneagram at all? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm an eight, like a hardcore eight. Yeah. Uh, challenger, protector. That's a nonprofit um, kind of number in it, a lot of ways. It is. Yeah. It's it's so much there. But I was getting exhausted because I had all these like pent up, you know, dreams and ambitions and things I wanted to do. And for for all of my career, uh, I, I was in a very blessed, I can't complain. I was in a very blessed, you know, situation where I never, in 14 years, never had to look for a job. I would always get promotions and raises and move from here to there yeah. because, because I was good at it. But it was like, again, it was me, me being good at building someone else's thing and it was totally. good work. So I just kept on, kept, you know, keeping on. Yeah. But at, 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 at a certain point I was like, I've got three kids, um, and I want to figure out what I want to, what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so that's the last three years have been, and now it doesn't, to your point, to White's point, you know, I, I don't feel, I don't feel exhausted. I feel exhausted about certain things, but yeah. now that I'm doing everything, exactly what I want to be doing, and it's still very in its infancy, I've got, so I'm failing more than I'm winning by a long shot, Yeah. but I'm doing what I want to be doing in the way that I want to be doing it. And I'm bringing the people I want to bring around me to do those things. Yeah. And so it just feels so fucking And then you got to interrogate what you mean by failure because like most success is like born of little failures, you know, then course corrections and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. John, I, I never quote this man, but because I remember him from growing up, John Maxwell, the like inspirational speaker, he's just like inspiration, but he he had a book that I read when I was a teenager that always stuck with me this phrase, like failing forward, like fail forward. And it's like, yeah, we're going to fail. And I, I'm not scared. It's, it's totally part of the deal and we should not be scared of it or afraid of it. We embrace it and use it to our advantage. Truly successful people are very at peace with failure and really have a lot of failure in their, you know, like even corporate, like fortune 500 people, like they all have failed companies behind them. You know, they actually, Ben told me about this study that was really fascinating about people who earn over, let's say, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars a year or, or like who are even more like in real top earning kind of echelons versus people that earn that are way less uh, high earners. Um, And they asked them their relationship to failure and the, the low earners said that they did have a failure and they considered it the end of the line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that the high earners were people who just considered it like a, a stop on the way. Yeah, a little speed bump. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So I, I consider like um, getting a good relationship to failure to be like one of the primary things we can do in life. I agree. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. So you're a, um, before we get into the meat, meat of this conversation, um, you're a Columbia, let's go back to like your origins just for people that sure, don't, yeah. that haven't Wikipedia'd you, yeah, yeah. you know, generally who you are, but don't know where you yeah. came from. Cause I, I always loved the backstory, yeah. um, you know, family or lack thereof where you came from, how you got where you're going. Cause it, it's, it's huge. It's hugely influential in who you are. Yeah. And what I know about you is you come from Columbus, Ohio yeah. and not as, as, so you're in show business. Like you've been in show business for all of your career? Uh, Most, yeah. I yeah. mean, since I got out of school, it's 20 years. Yeah, I got out yeah. of school in 99. But you didn't come from a family that was in show business. No, but it's a weird, you know, when you you, you kind of like um, do a little investigative work in your family yeah. and you realize that they're like, there were thw there were thwarted artistic ambitions in my, all throughout my family. There were people that wanted to be actors okay. that were told they weren't allowed. I actually, uh, you know, um, I have a a second, or my mom's second cousin is a huge producer in Hollywood. I've become friends with her. Um, but it's kind of lurking around my family. You know, the create, uh, my family is very creative. My father was a retired trial lawyer, but he's a sculptor. Yeah. You know, he plays the banjo. My mom uh, plays guitar and piano. Not, you know, not virtuosically, yeah. is that the word? Yeah. But uh, she's also a painter. You know, like they're, they're, we're a creative bunch. You know? Yeah, that's a good distinction because so I think a lot of times we can say, well, that you know, you said kind of thwarted ambitions, failed act. Somebody said you couldn't be that, but then there are other ways to do it. There's you can have a job, yeah. make a really good living, you know, and a good life for your family, community, and then still do that thing that you always wanted to do in a way that no one, you don't give a shit what anybody has to say about it. Yeah. You don't need permission. You don't need permission to go in your garage and paint, right, or play the right. banjo or sculpt, yeah, because you're not trying to make this your main thing. It's weird though. I have a thing where I want everything to be my main thing. Oh, like I don't. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I, I don't have. I'm a three with a four wing enneagram. So yep. I've got like that. There's there's also that tension. I've got like the achiever thing where yep. I need to kind of like yep. publicly like really be out there and achieve. And then I've got this individualist, individualist. Kind of light a candle and journal and get all kind of you know feelingy. Yeah. But um, you know, like when I started writing songs, it was kind of like well, how do I figure out how to like do this in front of a lot of people and make money from it and do, you know what I mean? But, yep. but I also like, I loved it in such a way that it's hard for me to sit. I, I have, a, I think a big part of my personality is very much like coming home from school and being like, look what I made. You, you know what I mean? I oh, still, sure. I yeah. still feel like I'm doing that a little bit. Like, sure. look what I made. And there's a sweet impulse to it. And there's also like a needy love me impulse to it. You know, everything has a shadow. And a, yep. but, um, but that's a big part of when I make things, I really want to share them. That's know? that's good. I think that's so. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I have other friends who are really creative and won't share their thing. Yeah. Because they're so afraid of it not being whatever, you know, I'm, I'm I, like, if I write a good, you know, verse of a song, I'll just share you the verse. Like, yep. like, I don't need things to be in their final form or completed. Like, I get very excited about process. How much of that is, is there ego involved in that? Or is it purely like... Well, there's I, ego involved in everything. Sure. So there you I go. don't know, it's fingerprints yes. are on everything. Yeah, yeah. But what... what well, just, just, is it more like, Hey, I want to show you how good I am at this, or I, act, I, I love you enough as a person or as my fan, whatever fans, whatever level people are experiencing what you're showing them. Is it just like, I, this is good. And I want you to experience it as well. Uh, it's hard to tease out what is what, like, sure. I think that, um, it's more like I get tickled by the fact that I can actually make things. And if they're good, I get, um, I don't know if pride is the right word, but I get like excited 
that there's something that I can, I mean, the thing that's thrilling about songwriting for me right now is that it's like I can spend a couple hours and have something to show you that's almost in its final form. Whereas a movie takes like two years, yeah. you know? So, I mean, just filmed entertainment takes so long. I don't think people understand how long it takes. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, I think, I, I don't know. My ego is involved in all of it. Yeah. But, and I wish it wasn't, you know, but, um, but I also think that, that I'm going to have a better chance. I have a bet. I give a damn about making things. Yeah. So like, I'm going to have a better chance of affecting the world in a positive way by writing a song than I am like building houses. Yeah. You, you know, cause yeah. I don't, I'm not good at building houses. Yeah. I would be like a not good contributor to that project, <laughs> but I could write a song about the people who are building the houses that they could put on the video that shows, <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Like I kind of forgot, you got to figure out where, like I'm a storyteller and if, and, and, and how can I put that to good use? You know, how did you get out of Columbus to, to become who you are today? How did um, that happen? Well, it's weird. I, I started, um, Columbus I, is cool now. I don't know how it, it was is cool back now. Then. It is. It's, it's, it's like Nashville without the music. Yeah, you know, it's totally. a very cool middle-sized uh, kind of American town. Great food, good art scene. Like you can really move to Columbus and have like a super fun, cool life. It, it, you know, when I was there, it was just a little more like I mean, it was the capital, and there were the Buckeyes and everything. But it was kind of, you know, Cleveland and Cincinnati felt like bigger metropolises than Columbus. Sure. But but Columbus has grown a lot. Um, but I did uh, a couple musicals in high school, and then I found my way to this children's theater called Columbus Junior Theater that we would do um, musicals, uh, 16 to 21 year olds. So all the best people from high schools would compete to try to get a spot ah. in this summer thing. And I did three summers of that, and it was really transformative and supremely fun. Um, but I thought we were all going to like move to New York and be actors, and like three of us did, you know. I mean, my best friend from there went to Juilliard, and mm -hmm. he, he he's an amazing actor, but. A lot of, uh, and another one's a really high level stage manager, but a lot of people just are back in Columbus. A lot of my high school friends that I thought we were all going to like go to big cities or like, yeah, they married, we, they married our friends and they had kids and they live a couple blocks from where we grew up and they have a really nice life and they're sure. not like, they're not, um, restless around that. Sure. But for me, I was always dreaming about getting to New York and being a theater actor. Like that was my vision. That was where I saw myself. So I went to uh, Kenyon College in Ohio, which is a small liberal arts college, which was really good for me. It was like I studied everything, but I spent a ton of time in the theater department. I was in the improv group. Um, it was just a really good, healthy mix. And, it, and my dad went there, so and it had this great theater department. So it was kind of like splitting the difference, like... Um, I had to do, I had to engage in some very high level manipulation with my parents to get them on board with me as an actor. Yeah. And one of the ways was like, I went to Kenyon. So I went to my dad's college, but had this great theater department. So I ended up declaring a drama major. So it was like, I was doing this thing that he loved, which was getting a liberal arts education at the school he loved, but I was doing it my own way, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then I got into NYU to the grad acting program at Tisch, which is like, you know, really, it's hard to get in there. You know, there's like seven or 800 people audition for like 17 or 18 slots. Sure. I got one of them and I went, um, and at that point, you know, I had done so much summer theater and so like, I, I really, uh, took it seriously. Like I went to grad, <clears throat> I went to grad school the way a doctor goes to medical school, or a lawyer goes to law school. Like I was a very pre-professionally focused person 
um, in terms of like trying to figure out like, how do you do this? How do you have a sustainable career mm -hmm. as an actor? And I was never someone who paid all that much attention to like the terrifying unemployment statistics. You know, I didn't, I have kind of a schmucky uncle who I, he, <laughs> he said, what are you doing next year? I said, I'm going to grad school for acting. And he said, you, I hope you're good at waiting tables. You know, like I didn't hear a lot of that, but like, you, you know, I had to swat away a lot of like cultural stuff around yeah. like, oh, you're going to be a poor, sure. you know, you're just going to, you're going to be, you can't click two nickels together. And, and I just never let that in. I always did thought, that ever happen. I got out of school and I had a very good showcase. So, so you do these, um, you do two scenes for, uh, like two three minute scenes this one afternoon in New York City for every casting director in New York and and uh, uh, an agent oh, wow. in New York comes. So it's this very high level day. Yeah, um, kind of like the draft for like the yeah NFL yeah or exactly something. exactly. So th that's all they see. They see six minutes of your work. And I was pretty tactical about that. Like over the years, I watched people do the scenes, and I thought if you can do comedy, you better do comedy. Because, you know, I, I noticed like Tennessee Williams scenes out of context in that, you know, on a beautiful afternoon where they're sitting inside, they just want to be entertained. Yeah, sure. So so I, I did two really funny scenes. I got, I think I had like 20 agent meetings. I met oh, every wow. casting director in town. I kind of got to choose what agency. I, and I went, I went with this agency that I was with for 14 years. They were really, they're, they're bit, they were big enough to handle me. I was nervous. I thought they were... You know, you're you're battling a certain amount. Even if you believe in yourself, you're battling a certain amount of imposter syndrome. Oh yeah. Because I still was like expecting people to be like, "You're just a Jewish kid from Columbus, Ohio. Get out of here." You know. But like, that's the cool thing about show business. Even though there are, you know, it is kind of who you know. There's also, so, especially television. Even in that day, I don't know how it is now, but like it was much more meritocratic. Like you could walk into a room and just be the guy. Mm. And and television is still much more than movies kind of interested in breaking people like television likes a new face sure whereas i feel like movies is kind of like no no no, we like faces we know yeah. yeah so um so i i got out of school i had signed with this great agent before i even signed with her i got i started understudying this this really interesting weird off-broadway play at manhattan theater club so i got my equity card the actor ended up leaving so i took over for two or three weeks in this play off-broadway with this like major cast um and then I just started working. I did an Eric Bogosian play at Baltimore Center Stage. I didn't work for six months after that. Started smoking cigarettes again, feeling sorry for myself, then got a really good play. Then I started getting little TV nibbles, like little guest stars. Um, and then it just it, it just kind of took off from there. Like, I think my parents helped me with rent, like my first year only. They like, not all of it, but like they, sure. they, they gave me pitched a little, in. they pitched in a little bit. And then since, I guess, like, 2000 like 99 2000 like i haven't i've made my living as an actor which is that's great you know st it's pretty crazy like yeah. uh, last spring rolled around and i realized it had been 20 years since i got out of nyu and, I, and it had been 20 years of making my living as an actor which is statistically very difficult to do yeah. and i and i wanted to mark it and give myself some time to like celebrate a little bit and yeah. say like yeah you know what this is not a small thing you know, the, 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 the issue with show business or one of the many issues with show business <laughs> the issue. and it's probably not just show business. It's like free market capitalist society right. will always have, there's always someone farther than you, mm -hmm. ahead of you that, that is doing the thing you want, getting the roles you want. There's so much, it's kind of rigged for your dissatisfaction, but like I sometimes play this game, like what would 16 me, 16 year old me think, do you know what I mean? Like mm, sure, 16 yeah. year old me would be 
if I had a guest spot on a television show one time, 16 year old be moved back. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that I was on a hit show for nine years, that I've been on Broadway a couple times, that I did a, a world premiere of a Richard Greenberg play at Lincoln Center. Like, there's so many things that, on top of the fact that I'm now <laughs> writing songs, I directed two movies that went to Sundance. Like, like, but 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 I say all that not to like list my many <laughs> accomplishments, but more to say like I still deal with a lot of professional dissatisfaction. Yeah, and that's where ego comes in because you're like, you know, they say comparisons are odious, but because it really, it's so. Um, it's so tempting to compare ourselves and find ourselves wanting. Oh yeah. And 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 there's also might be like a healthy amount of dissatisfaction that is what keeps us moving. So I, I I'm always curious like what's the healthy amount of dissatisfaction? It's hard to distinguish it is what is very hard. what is just dissatisfaction like healthy dissatisfaction versus comparison now because we have so many inputs, yeah. you know. So many like social media has done way more harm than good. Uh, there are way more unhealthy people mentally, physically because of social media. And just not 50 years ago, it was like, do your fucking thing. Like you do your thing. You have your people around you encouraging you, yeah. walking through stuff with you. And now at our fingertips, I can – every other person that's doing my thing out there, right, podcasting, speaking, consulting, right. like I can look and be like, well, their shit looks like it's working. But I also – I also, I try to be wary of like not overly sentimentalizing the past as this – um, friction-free, sure. p- blissful time. Certainly, people drank themselves to death fifty years ago. Yep. Certainly, people committed yep. suicide fifty years ago. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, um, there's a kind of. Uh, I think now we see uh, our despair a little more clearly. Like, mm. like um, the the fact that we know what's happening in different parts of the world that we used to not have access moment, to. Yeah, and not only that, it's like we curate our lives to such a degree, you know, like I'm not, I, I think it's cool when like, you know, actresses will like show, this is what I look like with no makeup or yep. when, when they drop the veil, like we all, um, you know, you put a filter over the thing, you like pick the pic, you take three pictures and pick the best one. You only make it look like your life is one permanent nonstop part of your vacation. <laughs> and, uh, it's just not true. You know, that's yeah. one of the things you, you get my newsletters. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so one of the things I do in those, and maybe we could plug that if people want to sign 100%. up, I, I do these, I'll um, link it. They're amazing. E- yeah. These emails every two months or so is how, when I get them out. But I, I write an essay kind of about what's going on or what, what I'm thinking about or what I'm struggling with or, um, and then I, I link a bunch of, um, recommendations of things that I've been inspired by lately. But one of the things I really like about that and what people seem to respond to is, um, and in, in the, I gave this speech in India, this, uh, in, in Mumbai, this ink talk. talk. Yeah, yeah. I'll link to that as well. Yeah, it's cool. Good. Um, but anytime where I can say like, Hey, I'm literally living my dream and life is super hard. Like, like it's not, I do, I think that there is this myth, especially in America, but I think it's permeated the globe that if you get certain things, it will inoculate you against despair or craving or sadness. And it's just a fiction. It's just a yep. fiction that I feel like we can't demolish it frequently enough. Yep. Because if that was the case, there would be no drug addiction or suicidal ideation or, um, you know, despair among wealthy people yeah. and famous people. And there's so much of and it. And there's so much of it. Yeah. So you've got to go, you know, I thought it was a really interesting moment. It was like that really hard week when um, uh, when Kate Spade and Anthony, Anthony Bourdain, Bourdain died yeah. by suicide. It was just like, wow. I mean, talk about two people who had more access, more resources. Like you couldn't, they, you know, any 
dinner party or or fancy gala or whatever you your idea of what it fancy looks like you know i mean there's that dave Chappelle joke which is super dark but like anthony bourdain the guy with the best job in the world yep you know he traveled around the world eating the best in most interesting yep. food talking yep. to people and and again that's a that's a reductive idea when someone who clearly is dealing with like massive clinical yeah. depression but um I, I i think it's for me to remember that life is not supposed to be like we're you, you know just the 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 opiate kind of epidemic right the question isn't why are people taking all these painkillers the point is why is there so much pain yeah why is there so much pain yeah. like what is going on in this fabulously wealthy country yep. that yep. you know something is rotten yep <laughs> and so and true. and i'm trying to both individually figure out like how i am a product of that and and even contributing to that on some level you know how i met your mother as dearly low i love that show and love a lot about it it peddled a lot of fiction in terms of like you know i hear people talking about you know oh you taught me how to be a romantic or love and and sometimes i think that my character especially like peddled a lot of like very addictive obsessive fantasies mm. around love and relationship and stuff that i really disavow <laughs> you yeah. know and i have to look at the fact that i really contributed to this whole generation thinking yep. that and and by the way i'm not an unromantic person like i believe in love but i believe in it in a more sober kind of adult way yeah not the kind of movie like oh i saw her across the room and i just knew because a lot of times that can be like craziness like yep. like i've had women who crush on me i mean i've had some like stalker situations like some really scary stuff and they crush on me in a way that like ted would crush on a girl and they think because they're having these feelings that i am the person for reciprocate and it's yeah. like i can assure you i am not yeah and i don't know you yeah <laughs> you know yeah yeah it's freaky that's uh you having been on a show like that which again also you know, I try not to shit too much on, I don't watch a lot of TV. Yeah, and when I do, it, ha it has to be like meaningful, sure, whatever that yeah. means. I'm doing air quotes, you know, like a documentary or, or, good for you. or substantive, like yeah. even if it's a comedy or whatever, it like has good morals or like, you know, talks about community, whatever. And, uh, yeah. So that on the, on the one hand, your show did gave just unadulterated joy to so many, you know, like so people many people just, they yeah. loved it. Yeah. My, my, my wife, brother loved just, just pure love for yeah. it. But also it did give this like false, maybe not false. Is that the right word? Like a false picture of like what life is really like, you know, friends. Well, it's, it's manicured, you know, it's yeah. like you're, I mean, any show that takes place in New York city, those people cannot afford that apartment. Friends, you know. I mean, yeah. any, you yeah. know, just the realistic kind of thing of like real estate in New York. No one gets it right. One of the reasons, this is kind of interesting, this is very inside baseball, but like the reason New York apartments have to be bigger, this is more for movies or single camera, is you need a you need room for the crew. So if you actually shot uh, what, what uh, you know, a small... Um, New York City apartment would really look like, you wouldn't have any room to put the cameras and the crew. Sure. Right? Yeah. The, the one movie that did it well, I thought, was um, uh, Peter Hedge's movie, Pieces of April. Did you see that mm -hmm. movie with Katie Holmes? No. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. I really love it. But her apartment and the apartments in there really look like small, small yeah. New York like apartments. They like they are. Um, I mean, that's just one example. Sure. But, um, you know, when... Like any 
filmed entertainment, it's going to cut out the boring bits, yep. right? Like so much of life is boring. That's it. David Foster Wallace, you know, at the end of his life was writing The Pale King and he was trying to get his, you know, gigantic mind around this issue of boredom, mm. which is such a big thing in our lives, yeah. you know, but, but the very nature of entertainment is it's, it cuts out the boring bits. It's, it's supposed to, um, it's, it's, it's a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it's, it's an enthusiastic kind of diversion, sure. yep. right? So anytime we want our lives to be like the movies, we get in a little trouble because we're not honoring the, the down moments, you know, the realness of the life. realness. Yeah. 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 Yep. And I don't know if we'd want to watch a play that was real. We, we, you know, we want to compress and feel like this is, these are the most interesting bits. We, that you're we, would, we wouldn't watch it because we're experiencing it in real time and we're looking for an alternative to that. Yeah. Something that we can. It's kind of like, how did the Truman show become like a, the actual hit, like yeah. the hit TV show? Cause it's not that interesting to watch people go about their lives. It's interesting to watch people, you know, there's a, um, you know, in Passover, the, the, there's these four questions that the, the kids are supposed to ask mm -hmm. and you know, it's essentially why is this night different than all other nights? And it's a really useful thing for a dramatist to ask themselves, like, why is this night mm. the one we're showing out of many, many nights sure. in these people's lives? Yeah, you know, that's beautiful. Yeah. So uh, Ram Dass, yeah, um, just passed away. An amazing, amazing human. And you, uh, you met him. Yeah, I, I which I, is pretty special. Yeah, I got to be with him in Maui a couple times. There's yeah. a f there's only a few spiritual teachers that I would have would love to spend time with yeah he it was one of them yeah. richard Rohr is one of them yeah who um, i've also gotten to spend time oh, with yeah okay <laughs> um i will soon uh, yeah. i will soon yeah i have connections too i'm like one degree of separation R richard is my richard. lighthouse he's amazing spiritually he's yeah, amazing absolutely did you did you read uh well do you read his books yeah, did you read the universal christ yeah the most, it was a masterpiece it's it's amazing yeah i mean it literally it continued well i shouldn't say it changed my whole life but it did it put a, it actually put a lot of things, you know, cause I've been a Christian all my life yeah. since I was literally a baby and I've been through multiple versions of it. Yeah. First, very like f fundamentalist, conservative, like almost cult. Order. Cult You're in the order box. I mean, he talks about. yeah. W yes. You know, <laughs> so many rules, like so many just made up out of the blue, yeah. like bullshit, like rules for how to live your life. Very constricting. And then went through multiple iterations to where I am now, which very much aligns with the the, the vision of Universal Christ, that yeah. book, and and kind of what he's pitching, and the hope and the freedom that that provides yeah. for life. Uh, it's it's wonderful. It's, it's beautiful. It's funny how there's this idea that, like, like a kind of fundamentalist, any any sort of fundamentalism, right, which mm -hmm. is born of this idea th that of a literal interpretation of text. You know, and I love how Richard says, like, literalism will yield the least fruitful reading. You'll get the least amount from reading it literally. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know, like reading a fairy tale literally. And yeah. Like, well, the wolf ate the grandmother and the little red riding hood and spat them both out <laughs> and they're fine. That makes no sense. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, that's not really what the story is about. Yep. So, um, but, you know, his vision in Universal Christ is so massive. Like, um, someone told me this great thing their pastor said that. Christianity um, is an amazing thing. It's just too bad it's never been given a real shot. Wow, you know, <laughs> like, like, like to really, like to really follow what Jesus was up to. Yeah, as far as I can tell. Yep, will be is so radical. Yep, like he says, you know, 
you know, you got to leave your family to follow me. And that, how we turn this into like a family values religion? That's that. That's actually not what it's about. That's <laughs> like insane, he's saying for sure, leave your family. Yep, and to follow and me. To follow me. Yeah. And you know, a lot of what I can tell, and this is not exclusive to Christianity, but a lot of religion is control mechanisms. You know, it's it's um, it's it it really it it's it's almost you know. I learned in Israel the, the 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 commandment about taking the Lord's name in vain. The Hebrew is lotisa et shem Hashem alakecha, like thou shalt not carry the Lord's name in vain, which literally means you know don't use God for false ends. It's beautiful, right? Yeah, which is such a and crazy intru- more interesting thing than saying don't don't say yeah. God damn it. Yeah, you know, 100%. like it's so much bigger. Yeah, and we're all in violation on some level of that commandment, especially in religion. You know using religion to guilt people, using religion to condemn people, shame people. I think that's a violation of that commandment. Yeah, it's happening at the highest levels of our oh. country right now. Oh, the biggest. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen, uh, or I guess I'm, I mean, I'm young enough that there's a lot, a lot of presidents and a lot of governments before me, iterations of governments, but I don't know that there's ever been a government that hoard the, the Jesus in the Bible in the way that this... Well, I wish, I mean, I'm a little older than you, and I will say that Reagan did it and George W. Bush did it. The same. The same. The same. I so mean, what's different about this one then that feels so much more belligerent and I think like, what's different hurtful. about it is that their uh, chosen prophet is so odious <laughs> and so unchristian. So easy to, yeah. He's so unchristian in so many ways. Yeah, that's a good point. You know? Yeah. And um, you read the Christianity Today oh, yeah. piece, yep. right? I yep. thought it was excellent. Yep. It was it excellent. Was fantastic. And I saw that guy, the guy who wrote it, you know, was interviewed. He said, I'm not making a, a political judgment about the guy. No. I'm making a moral judgment yeah. about the guy. And he's a failure. Yeah. He is an, he is an absolute moral failure by yeah. any, anyone's, any, any judgment of any world religion would say like, these are our precepts. These are our virtues. Yeah. And he's, he's doing none of them. Yeah. Other than checking off in a very politically calculated way this is what this base of mine, this unshakable block of people that believe I'm, do, you know, this this unholy but you know prophet messenger, and you know the the, the whole thing about God uses, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, people like with flawed people, flawed yeah, people. yeah. Look at David, in, yeah, in all these different, yeah. yeah. And but if someone's you know on the other side of the aisle also flawed, they're from the devil and they must be destroyed. And you know the the I I think there is a, an awakening, especially among young evangelicals or like ex evangelicals. Is yeah? Would you consider yourself? Kind no, of I'm still. Well, I, I was. Yes, I would say I'm still fully like Christian. Yeah, yeah. Not, I don't want to participate in are you anything. A, are, are you a Rachel Held Evans fan? Huge you? Rachel Held Evans. Yeah, fan. yeah, yeah. So I read two of her books. I read Faith Unraveled, the first one, and and uh, Searching for Searching Sunday. for Sunday. Yeah. Those books are so beautiful. Yeah. Like I can't recommend them highly enough. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a Jewish guy reading. I just thought they were. To me, I'm really interested in anyone who. I, I sense a very sincere longing for like truth and and peace and community and like god like what like i mean those are all euphemisms i think for god like yep. w- um and she was just i mean it's such a it's so tragic you know super her, tragic yeah i mean far death, far but, too soon yeah oh my god but what a fierce mind she had yeah like absolute ferocious thinker and uh and hilarious too and really i just I, I just hate you know one of the one of the mysteries of the world is why does she go and other people 
stay I for, know. for decades longer. You know, like that's just that's hard. Like you look at Ram Dass, you're like, dude, he lived a full life. Like, yeah. sure, we'd love to keep him for another hundred, but yeah. he lived a full life. Yeah. And then you have Rachel's who who I mean, talk about her in 40 more years, like the wisdom. I know. Like she would have been like she still she already is a prophetess that will you know, that will remember for for a yeah. long, long time. Yeah. But, you know, double her age and her experience and her wisdom. Yeah. And it's always tragic when people like that are It's interesting, though, because I didn't, I think I had seen her name a couple times, but I didn't know about her until her death. And I started reading the, oh, wow. Because okay. of, because of RHE, that yep. hashtag. Yep. And I was brought to tears by a lot of those testimonials. And I thought, well, who is this woman that did all this stuff for people that, that moved these people and brought them back to the church and, and, and helped them redefine their relationship to God and, religion and and um that's when i started reading her yeah and i'm not saying oh she had to die so i could discover her no but, but it, in her death she probably uh converted a lot of people and i, I use that term very broadly no you i know, get it she, she she probably brought a lot of people to her words in a different way i know I, I know dozens of people in my own personal circle that didn't give a shit about her before and now they're like huge fans. Yeah. Like bought all the books, yeah. are reading it, devouring it. Yeah. Post death. So that's I mean, that's a beautiful thing about legacy, right? Is yeah. that we don't know the impact we're having until we're gone. And then things start springing up. Or or they don't. Or we have, you know, a legacy not worth talking about. And, right. And right. people just Did for, you read um David Brooks's book, The Road to Character? Yes. Great book. Yeah. I love that book. Yeah. But the uh, that thing at the beginning, which he actually got from a rabbi, this Lithuanian rabbi, um, Telushkin, or not Telushkin, um, Soloveitchik, uh, about the distinction between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Mm -hmm. And I think about that a lot in terms of like the resume virtues, you know, obviously like, oh, this is the car I drive, this is the job I have, yep. this is how much money I make, this is what the peacock feathers, this is yep. what makes me yep. interesting in a capitalist society or valuable. And then the eulogy virtues are how will people talk about you when you're dead? You know, were you charitable? Were you kind? Were you a good friend? Were you, did you show up for people in emergencies? All these things. And, you know, when I get obsessed with resume virtues, I know I'm in the ego, but the eulogy virtues are like the, the sturdier. It's the real stuff. It's the real stuff. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it's just the real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What did Ramdas mean to you? And what do you think? Again, we're just talking about legacy now. And, yeah. And I, again, he'll be somebody that we, everybody talks about for millennia to come. But like, what, what are we losing by not having him here anymore as a spiritual teacher? There's lots of spiritual teachers, all different persuasions, but he brought something unique yeah. to the table. I don't think we are losing anything because like, if you read a lot of his writing was about death mm -hmm. and a lot of it was about, you know, he would say stuff you're like, bringing that up. Yeah. like dying is absolutely safe. Dying yep. is not an outrage. Like, I don't, I don't think he was stressed about death. Like no. I think he was, and it's interesting. He, he told me this, but he's written about this in his books that when he had his stroke in 1997, was it? I think he had a stroke. Um, he was, you know, in this kind of twilight consciousness, he knew something really bad was happening. Mm and he was conscious and he knew so and he said he didn't have one single spiritual thought like he didn't have a single spiritual thought he, he you know half his life spent you know trying De devouring to devouring this embody all this of stuff. it yep. and he didn't have a thought that was spiritual and he realized that he was like a spiritual infant and he had oh, wow. some real work to do he was also at the time writing a book about aging and he realized oh i didn't know anything about aging i didn't know anything about aging until the stroke and I, and I tweeted about this, but he said to me, the first time I sat with him, he said, um, oh, the stroke has just been so wonderful because it taught me that I'm not my body. 
It's wild. And I thought I was my body and it was a lesson I needed to learn. And um, to me, you know, Ram Dass, I, 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 I didn't tweet this, but I, I, I just thought it would be it, funny that to me, he's like the patron saint of suburban Jews who give up everything to find God, you know, because he, he's this Jewish guy from yep. this, you know, prominent family and outside of Boston. And he was a Harvard professor of psychology with Timothy Leary. Mm-hmm. And they got in trouble because they were, you know, going deep down the psychedelic rabbit hole. He means a lot to me as both a spiritual seeker and as a psychedelic pioneer, because psychedelics have been really important to me in my yeah. journey. And uh, but as serious, intentional use of psychedelics, not like a right. ravey, yeah, you know, not kind a of thing. Seven, There's nothing yeah. wrong with that, sure. actually. And I've done some of that. But uh, but the, the, no, the kind of new the new conversation that's happening. Yeah. And that started for me. And we can talk about that. But that started for me in 2007 with ayahuasca and stuff. Yep. But when I started learning about uh, when I when I found myself um, in this world and feeling such a uh, at home in that world, I realized that I was standing on the shoulders of all these interesting people. You know, I was reading Aldous Huxley and um, Daniel Pinchbeck helped me quite a bit in that, those early years. But Ramdas is someone that if you're interested in psychedelics and you're interested in spirituality, you're going to stumble across Ramdas. Yeah, you know who who was named Richard Alpert. But for people who don't know, you know, he was a, he was a Harvard psychologist, and he and Timothy Leary were doing these experiments with with psilocybin and with LSD and things were they thought getting out of control and they were both fired and they set up this like kind of hippie commune in um Millbrook I think in New York yep but but Ramdas ended up going to India and meeting a guru called Neem Karoli Baba who became his uh, or the Maharaji not to be confused with Maharishi who's different but the Maharaji uh, Neem Karoli Baba was his guru and he was just and he gave him the name Ramdas which means servant of Ram um and uh he came back you know with a big beard wearing you know beads and robes and he told me this story that his father um picked him up from the airport when he first got back to india and he came out wearing beads and robes and this long beard and his father was like get in the car like someone's gonna see you he was humiliated by how his son looked yeah and um but he also, you know, he wrote this book, Be Here, Be Here Now, which is this counterculture yeah. classic, you know. Um, and he was really, uh, not a lot of people, I don't know how many people know this, but he was a person who took the wisdom of the East and brought it here. Like, for he, he, was, a, he was a perfect ambassador for a kind of non-dual, you know, Advaita, they call it, non-dual consciousness. Um, and he was a, he was a beautiful teacher and and I think he was a good man too like he was a very sincere very good writer very beautiful clear writer um and he wrote a lot of books and he was just trying to be of use and I think he was really um asking to be awakened he accomplished that the useful I think so yeah Yeah. I mean a, a lot of people and then and then I think the stroke that he had in 1997, there's a beautiful documentary about it called Fierce Grace. It's on, uh, no, that's not the one on Netflix. Oh, there was another one, there's a new another, one that's yeah, on yeah. Netflix. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Um, but uh, his stroke was kind of the last chapter of his life that was, you know, it's amazing. It was 97, so he was 22, 22 years. years. He ago, had yeah. this aphasia, you know, he was in a wheelchair. Being with him was very interesting because he can't speak fast at all. He and it takes him a while. And he he I've seen him speak before crowds. He asks, "Don't help him." 
you know, he knows what he's saying. He's mm -hmm. not looking for a word. Sure. He's just trying to form it. Um, there was something about being with him where time really slowed down mm. because you couldn't have a conversation like we're having just like ding, ding, yeah, ding, yeah, ding, back, ding, and forth, back and, forth. and forth. You can't do that. So you really had to be with silence when you were with him, which was also a teaching, you know, how to be with someone who's not going to play the game of tennis as furiously. But I'll tell you this, he, cho he chose his words and they mattered. Yeah. You know, the things he said were beautiful. And a lot of times there was, when he would be searching for a word, there would be like this, light in his eye like this glint of uh, you know he never he never seemed unjoyful to me even trapped mm. in that body that had kind of betrayed him yeah. he never he never um uh projected a kind of woe is me kind of attitude there was no there wasn't a trace of self-pity mm. in the man so so i think like he teaches us one of the things he taught me like he says whatever is going on in your life is your yoga so for him dealing with this stroke was his practice yeah. it was his karmic it was it was like his dharmic karmic practice like he needed that to learn his lessons and you know i don't know maybe i i may I, I don't know if that is the kind of lessons i need to learn but you know it was kind of like my india talk the ink talk is like my weird lesson was like getting kind of famous like half famous kind of famous from a tv show that a lot of people loved and realizing that it made me more unhappy than I thought I was before I was on it and how to deal with the fact that a lot of people would recognize me or want pictures with me or say the wrong thing to me or say the right thing to me or just like me because I was on TV or hate me because I was on TV like whatever those things were for that time and I still deal with it a little bit but like that was my yoga mm. you know that was my that was my spiritual practice was how to deal with a lot of people that I don't know knowing me and what is my relationship to that and how do I be uh, an honorable, decent human in the midst of that, you know? So, yeah. and, and sometimes people it's, you know, having three kids and trying to get a, you know, a movement off the ground or, you know, how I talked with a guy last night, how do I be a stay at home dad and record an album while my son is sleeping? Like that's his yoga. Yeah. That's his practice. Yeah. And other people, it's taking care of a sick parent. I mean, whatever, whatever is your life, that's what's really brilliant is like, there's not a mistake. Like whatever is going on in your life is your, it's your practice, you know? Yeah. So. Uh, where, are, I mean, I got a little bit, we got a little bit of a picture there in that monologue, but where are you spiritually? Like you seem very spiritual and you say you're Jewish, but that could mean, you know, there's practicing and not practicing. And, but it seems like you kind of, you know, you're reading Rachel Held Evans, you're sitting under Ram Dass. Like where, where does that, where does faith and spirituality, uh, what role does that play in your life? It seems like a big one, but I don't yeah. want to overstep. I think it's whatever lights me up or opens my heart. Like I'm, I'm, I'm open. Like I don't, um, I, th I think, I think it's insane to think one tradition or lineage has all the answers and all the cool stuff in it. You know, there's so many different avenues and there's so many different people and movements and, yeah. um, scripture and prophets. Like it's, um, it just feels like the height of arrogance to claim one group has it all. Um, I think you can gravitate more towards, uh, your portal that you're like, no, 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 like Jesus really works for me as a, the, the extended hand towards whatever. Yep. But, you know, there's not a Christian alive that wouldn't be uh, served by reading some Rumi, 
Of course. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Or, or reading the words of the Buddha. Like, like those are not opposed to each other. And there's a, there's a kind of dirty word called, you know, syncretism or syn syncretic. Syn syn yeah, syncretism. Syncretism, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which essentially says, you know, oh, you're, 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 you pick and choose from different traditions and it's kind of a frowned upon thing. Like, almost like you can't commit. Like, you're almost like polyamorous as a spiritual person. Yeah. And to me, I always thought that was ludicrous because there's this enormous body of, a collective body throughout human history of people yearning and searching and weeping and gnashing of teeth and yeah. and and being kind and screwing up. Like I, I just feel like it's fascinating to me the the spiritual literature. I I, I will say though that um, uh, there's this story about Aldous Huxley that I think about all the time. That uh, you know Aldous Huxley took every drug. He sat with every religion. He yeah. met with every, you know, pastor, priest, rabbi, shaman, guru. And um, he was asked at the end of his life, so, so at the end of a life of spiritual seeking, um, what, do you, what did you learn? Like, could you synthesize it all? Mm. And he said, I'm a little embarrassed to say that almost all I can say is try to be a little kinder. Mm. Like, that's ultimately what it, what it came down to, you know, I love when Richard talks about like secret Christians, like people who are working on infectious diseases yep. or trying to save one endangered species yep. and they would never call themselves a Christian. Yep. But, but to do something with great care and love and attention is honoring his definition of Christ, which is Christ. matter meeting spirit. Yeah. Yep. You know? Um, so I, I, I call myself Jewish just because it's my tradition. It's the tradition I know that I grew up in that, that I, I, my, my, a niece and nephew were just bar and bat mitzvahed uh, last month and sitting in the synagogue and watching the Torah be taken out of the ark. Like mm -hmm. it's still very moving yeah. to me because it's my, it's my childhood. It's my tradition is those songs are in my blood and I feel almost elementally Jewish, but I also, in a weird way, I feel this connection to Jesus. And then I remember he was Jewish. Like he was of my tradition. Yes, yes, he, he was, was a prophet yes, in was. my tradition. Yeah. And I feel I, I, I will I will not, I, I, I've wondered like, am I a Christian on some level? But I, there's something about the, the big ask in Christianity is that God incarnated in this one person called Jesus. And I can't, I can't do that. Like I can't get behind mm -hmm. that. But I feel in terms of a person who awakened to, to a Christ consciousness and was speaking in a non-dual healing, gorgeous way and critiquing you know, the establishment in a perfect way. Like, I think he was, a, a, you know, a massive world figure. And I consider him kind of like a brother, prophet, teacher, friend. Yeah. You know, rabbi. Yeah. In in my tradition, in a yeah. weird way. Rob Bell and I have joked that we should write a book where where I talk about loving Jesus and he talks about loving the Hebrew scriptures and like how, a, you know, a tradition that's kind of yours but kind of not yours yeah. can inform your your belief. I've always felt that way about Judaism. Because I've been to synagogue a few times, and I love it. Like, I visited, and, you know, very welcoming. And it's just beautiful. Like, yeah. everything you just described, everything, the readings, the everything is just so beautiful. And I identify with it because, as a Christian, I follow Jesus, yeah. who was a Jew. And as Richard know? says, he went to his death a good and faithful Jew. He never tried to secede or start another religion. No. You know, that he... He was, I think he was saying like, you know, the, the, you're missing the forest for the trees. Like your obsession with the letter of the law is missing the spirit of the law. And that's still going on. Every critique Jesus made in his day is applicable now 120%. 
totally. you know, and the gatekeepers of religion, which are, which are doing it in Jesus's name, but the gatekeepers of all religions, yeah. you know, are the Pharisees, yep. <laughs> you know, yep. like they're, I don't know. I just watched, um, did you see Brene Brown's speech at the, the her sermon at the National Cathedral in oh, Washington? Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. So beautiful. I just watched it yesterday. I love Brene. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I really respond. I used to go to, um, when I was in San Francisco, I used to go to Glide Memorial Church, which is this um, church in the Tenderloin District, which is this notoriously yeah. very tough yep, area tough. of town. And um, they had, um, uh, they have this choir that is like, trans people, homeless people, addicts, alongside housewives, uh, tech billionaires. You, you know what I mean? It's just this unbelievable mix of people. And I feel... Oh, you're taking a picture? Yeah, just keep, yeah. Just keep okay. going. I'm just yeah, going to yeah. take some... Um, and it's this unbelievable mixture of people. And I find it so moving when people... When the umbrella is enormous. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when oh, the umbrella yeah. is like, we'll will will take you. Yeah. Because uh, you know, I think Rachel Held Evans talked about like the church is going to be reborn with exiles from the quote-unquote church. 100%. You know, it's yeah. the orphans, it's yep. the excluded, it's the marginalized. Those are the people that have the spiritual energy. You know, uh, do you know Gregory Boyle from uh, yeah. Homeboy? Yep. Yeah. I mean, he in his book he talks about like it's almost selfish when I work with the poor. I work with them because they illuminate the gospel for me better than anyone else. Hundred percent, and that's why I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> it's like this is where yeah. I get the the juice, which is why it's so frustrating to see what's happening right now at the highest levels of you know government. The kind of I, oh, I, I, rank I, hypocrisy it's, of it's, the worst kind. It's so terrible. I mean, everything. If you look at the refugee crisis, if you look at the fact that Flint still doesn't have water, if you look at all these things, you know, we just we just signed a $763 billion defense bill, which included forming Space Force. Ugh. Yes. I ugh. hate Space yes. Force. What the fuck is the Space <laughs> Force space anyway, force. right? Again, again, I, I don't even, I'm not, I'm not uh, an, an authoritative enough of a leader in the government to even know if we need a Space Force or not. But we don't need it yet. As long when as people don't have clean drinking water, clean drinking let's water, wait. and you're taking SNAP away from families, uh, and and kids have school like lunch debt, like kids can't afford their lunch. Yeah, right. And we're finining them for it. We are, we are, we are. Uh, uh, no, we punish poor people them. in this country. Yes, we totally punish poor people. And, yeah. and there's and there's tens of thousands of people in prison, not even jail, but prison for smoking weed, which I do all the time. Yeah, you know, like. And and yet we're starting a space force, right? And so, but that's all being done under the 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 guise, the premise of like this is we need to take care, you know. Even even heaven, you know, in in Revelation, even heaven has walls, you know. So we gotta like build our walls and protect ourselves, and it's all being done in, in the name of Jesus, essentially, you know. Yeah, and it's I wild. just had this I just had this interesting thought that uh, you know they say on earth as it is in heaven, and I was wondering. This is a radical thought, but what if Earth could teach something uh, to heaven? So, so if we dismantle the walls here, the walls of heaven are dismantled. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, like it's a in parallel. Like, sort yeah, of yeah. Like, like, <clears throat> like, what if we could create uh, like a non-walled heaven? You know, I mean, look, there's always going to be people that are dangerous, that are people, you know. But the 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 idea that you know, Trump, he uses genocidal language. 
Yes, he does. And it's so alarming. It's alarming as a Jew, first of all, you know, to hear this language. Yeah, you guys it's, have some history. We there. have some history with that. And um, Brene Brown's speech at the, the National Cathedral, you know, was about the opposite of connection and community is dehumanization. And when we, when we see this kind of language running rampant, and, you know, I... I think it. I think it is on. I, I try not. You know, it is on both sides. Totally. Uh, you know, um, I'm way more progressive than I try not to be like a reactionary. And I, but I, but I also, as I'm getting older, I notice that there are some. I don't even know if I would call them conservative, but there are certain things that I maybe believe in that I didn't used to. Yeah. That that feel more perennial. Yeah. You know, like like wise yep. things that have lasted for thousands of years. And I negotiate that with times are changing and we should change with them. Yep. But I also think, you know, there are certain hearty, sturdy values that ha that do serve humanity. Yep. But I don't think when we twist those values and we make it about us versus them, you know, one of the things I really chew on in Richard, I was actually just reading some, did you get the daily emails, the Richard emails? I don't, I didn't even oh, know it's like that a was a free thing. email. Yeah, yeah. Every okay. day, Richard sends an email and they're beautiful. Amazing. Um, but have you ever heard his thing about a, a huge mistake that almost every religion has made is do not separate the sacred from the profane. Mm. And it's, it's a very tricky, almost like Zen Koan kind of thing. Sure. Because, because how do you go, well, I think, um, you know, feeding the homeless has to be sacred and, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a doctor molesting hundreds of gymnasts is profane, yeah. right? Like there are things yep. that are like, strike you as like sacred yeah. and There's profane. no sacred in that. There's no profane in exactly. that. Exactly. Yep. But at the same time, I, I've wondered if it's because we tend to call what we do and who we like sacred oh. and what we're, who is not like us who's not siloed like us, who doesn't hate the same people we hate or like the same things we like, they are profane. So it's almost like the, our human limitations pro, pro, should stop us from making those classifications. Yeah, it's just, that's that's totally true. That's what you just described is why we're in the shitty shit that we're in right now. Yeah. Is because you have the, you know, I, I'm progressive in almost every way as well, but I, I have to own what my side. Yeah does and how terrible they are sometimes you know one of yeah. my i have a conservative friend here in town great dude uh and i shared something online yesterday uh there was a video of this woman that was in brooklyn and there was a call to prayer from a mosque and she was like making fun of it oh she was, I saw yeah you this. saw that ridiculous Su stupid disgusting it, it's just stupid it's yeah, just like stupid. so stupid yeah, yeah yeah like you want freedom of you know religion for you but not for everybody else yeah. like this is not they're they're these are these peaceful, amazing people praying, you know, five times a day, something that you don't do. Anyway, right. so I just retweeted it and said, this is gross, disgusting, like, you know, God save us from ignorant people, blah, blah, blah. It was a very, like, I didn't want to be too blasting, but also, like, this is wrong. I want everybody to know this is wrong. And he responded, because I had said that most, you know, most of the, this is a white woman, uh, or white, white-ish, and I said most, you know, most domestic terrorist acts in the last 20 years, and especially in the last three, have been committed by white Christian males. That, that's like not even a not even a mm -hmm. contest. You know, it's that that is those are the stats. And my buddy, again, who's conservative, uh, who values facts and data and wants to see it, doesn't get emotional about these things. He said, "Where, where can I find data about that?" Which my first reaction 
which I'm glad I never or I'm getting better at not acting on my first reaction was like, dude, go Google it. Like it's everywhere. Just yeah, Google yeah. white, you know, male uh, to domestic terrorists. There's article after article about this. So I went and found one, you know, screenshot that kind of captioned all of it. And uh, there were so many replies. None of the replies. There was one person that kind of said, hey, he's asking like he's actually asking, like let him like help him if he's wondering. Right. Everybody else was somebody on the liberal side that was blasting him for not knowing and for and for being so ignorant and stupid to not see this. Where have you been? You live under a rock? Like, yeah. it's fucking everywhere, right? And I was like, you guys. Yeah. Like, you, you are doing exactly, like, exactly in this thread. I mean, there were being, there were some people that were just, like, being sarcastic or stupid, but there were people that were, you know... Going beyond that to now, you know, name calling and just degrading my friend, who's an amazing dude. Yeah, because he asked a question. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's wild what we're doing to each other right now. Yeah, this whole, this whole, you know, this is sacred and this is profane. We've all got different versions of that. And also, like, there's kind of a woke, woke off. Doesn't Aziz talk about that? Yes, you know, and um, yeah, I've never heard it put that way, but yes, that is totally what's happening right now. Yeah. And, and also, you know, this, you know, there's something, there's something so, I'll, I'll, I'll share this story. Please. Um, I had this argument with a friend of mine where when, when, you know, when trans like pronouns started coming up, I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. still a big thing, right. you know, Jordan Peterson and all this stuff. And I have a friend who is a very progressive friend. I love her dearly. And she said something like, it's not their job to educate you. Yep. You need to educate yourself, right? Yep. And I worked with this trans actor on this show, Rise, that I was on NBC a couple of Oh, we're going to talk about Rise. Ago. Oh, sure, yeah. It's my wor- favorite thing you've ever done. Oh, really? Oh, cool. It sucks so badly that it only I lasted know, one I know, I loved it. I like, loved like, it. Yeah. It should have gone forever, but... Um, I worked with this trans actor named Ellie and uh, I could see that people kept messing up his pronouns Mm -hmm. at like photo shoots, like crews and stuff. And I had messed them up a couple times and I pulled him aside and I said, hey, um, I just want you to feel real safe here. And some of this is like, can you just tell me, just talk me through the pronouns so I know. And the look on his face was like, he was so relieved. He smiled. He said, of course. And he just told me. Yep. And I was fine from then on. Like I didn't, I got it, yep. you know? And we were actually, I I needed to make a request of him because he had said something that kind of zinged me a little bit. And we got to have a really cool conversation. Yeah. And it was, it felt really healing in like kind of a minor, like, let's just deal with this now. And I was thinking about like when things are new, we need someone to extend an olive branch and to be like kind, you know, like totally. I had to do I, when I started working with gay people and I felt, you know, I could feel my parents' generation was like, it took them a while, you know, and, and now there's all this other stuff that's going on and it takes people a while, you know, and I think that it's all okay, but I think that the, 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 the more we can be like calm and, um, level-headed and stop shrieking and thinking that people should just know everyone should just know something because it's not true you know we know what we know when we know it and um i just i i kind of disagree with the idea that 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 we can't you know 
that they it's not their responsibility. For instance, like if if I had a really good friend and I knew that that person was a good person and they were talking about buying a car and they're like, oh, the guy was uh, overcharging me, but I really Jewed him down. Yeah. You know, and they didn't know that that, and I would say, hey man, that's not an appropriate thing to say. Right. I, I'm gonna request that you never say that again. Yeah. I think that that is my responsibility to say because I trust and love that this is a good hearted person and they're having an ignorant moment and that's okay. Yep. Yep. You know? Yeah. We're, we're, we're far too. It reminds me, I, I wrote this Ramdas quote down because it's the one that I've been thinking about. It's one that I always loved from him and this last day I've been really considering it. And it really applies to uh, this conversation. He says, um, when you go out into the woods and look at trees, you see all these different trees. Some of them are bent, some of them are straight, and some of them are evergreens and some of them are whatever. And you look at the tree and you allow it. You appreciate it. You see why it is the way it is. You sort of understand that it didn't get enough light. And so it turned that way. And you don't get all emotional about it. You just allow it. You appreciate the tree. The minute you get near humans, you lose all that. Yeah. You are constantly saying you're to this and you're to that. And no, you're to this and I'm to this. That judging mind comes in. And so I practice turning people into trees, mm. which means appreciating them just the way they are. That's so beautiful. And no, it's totally beautiful. That like we are, and and, I, and this is coming from an eight that came out of Christian fundamentalism. I, I never belonged there. Not one moment did I ever feel like I belonged in Christian fundamentalism. But How boy, could did you? I, you, you yeah. have to be perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But boy, did I learn some bad habits from them. Right. And I learned how to become an asshole yeah. for so much of my life, and I masked it, and I got better at it, and it wasn't so you know pronounced at certain points. But it was a lot of judgment, and it wasn't until the last like probably five to seven years in my late 20s when I started getting out of that world that I really started to see people, and, I, and, and even from seven years ago to now, it's a total transformation as well. Uh, the last three years, I started this whole you know Trump America era being a really, really angry, belligerent, like I was just looking for fights all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, it's mostly online. Uh, because the people that I engage with in real time, I wouldn't treat them that way. Right. But, right. you know, you're hiding behind a keyboard. You can just say whatever you want. And it's taken me three years to really become a lot better at what this quote is embodying and what you're talking about. Like, I've heard that so much as well, specifically about the trans conversation, is like, well, people should just, like, figure that shit out on their own. And it's like, no, no, I value you a thousand percent as who you are. But you need to help me, you need to help other people. And all of us have that thing, whether it's trans or whether it's being a Muslim or whether it's whatever, or me as a, I have people that still, I have friends that are now not just ex-evangelical, but also like left the faith altogether. And I yeah. don't half blame them because so many people are not representing what, what I think we should be. But I have so many people that are, that are judgmental to, instead of asking me, why are you still in? Like, why are you still, like, all in? In fact, we as a family have gotten more in. Mm -hmm. We decided there was a fork in the road in 2016 and 17. Do we leave this thing all together because we're getting some shit on us? Like, some shit that we didn't we didn't ask for. We didn't sign up for this. Right. Or do we believe this thing is real enough that we need to stay in and be part of it and really embody what we truly think this means, the, right. the, the way of Jesus? And... So my thing, which is not a, it's not as big as, a bigger conversation as being, you know, trans or gay or, you know, the the kind of 
hyper elevated conversations that are happening now. But that's been my thing where people just like, they don't want to talk about it. They want to judge me for staying in. Like, how could you stay in? How could you have friends that are in the Southern Baptist Convention? You know, this convention that is just riddled with uh, so much sex abuse and sex scandal. People that I, I know, Rachel yeah. Denhollander, she's a friend of mine, you know, who, you know, she was the whistleblower on Larry Nasser and that whole Michigan State thing. Right. I have a lot of people that, friends that are survivors of pastors that are st- men that are still pastors today. Yeah. They've not been kicked out, they've not been charged, they're still free. And it's like, how could you still be friends with that person? They're part of this group. And there's so much nuance that we're not. We're not willing to do that homework, uh, and we're not willing to ask questions, and we're not willing to just be chill. Yeah, chill enough to like just see people the way we see trees is like they are the way they are. Let's ask questions. Let's 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 be in this for the long term versus the short term kind of rush that we get with saying like "fuck you" for being this way or that way, or for not knowing, or for knowing too much, or whatever the case yeah. may be. I think about a lot the, in falling upward. Richard says that thing about. Um, Jesus was never angry at sinners. And he says, look it up. He was never angry at sinners. He was only angry at people who thought they weren't sinners. Yep. And hypocrisy is the greatest and most rampant of sins in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think a lot about um, when I want to judge. I mean, this is a stupid example, but I think, so-and-so hasn't written me back like an email, right? Yeah. And then I, I go, wait, how many emails have I not returned? Yep. Like, how am I yep. <laughs> exactly the thing that I'm accusing yep. someone of? And and that's that's constant. Like, I could accuse anyone of anything. Let's say, like, oh, you're hot-headed. You're judgmental. You don't, you're not giving them a chance. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm hot-headed and judgmental, and I'm not, I don't give people chances. Like, it, and, you know, this is where you get into Jung and his genius, like, we're projecting our own shadows onto everyone. Mm. So when, when someone's yep. really triggering you, it's yep. like something you've either condemned in yourself that you don't want to look at or something you, that's unconscious in you. That's why it's so provocative. I mean, it's almost hilariously mathematical that Trump accuses people of the very things he's guilty of. Yep. When Trump accuses everyone of corruption, yeah. he actually thinks everyone is corrupt because he's so corrupt yep. that he thinks that everyone else is doing it because yeah. that's the world he's in. You know, yeah. the, the idea that someone would be uncorrupt is is unfathomable. But you know, I don't know he gives it this much thought. I think right. some of it is just knee-jerk, reflexive shadow projection. Sure. But he's really, when he accuses someone of something, it's almost a certainty that he has done or is doing the same thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think the antidote to all of this is like, I mean, it's funny to be doing a long podcast interview about this, speaking a little less, being more judicious about when and how we speak. And also... um honoring, uh, honoring is not the right word, acknowledging and almost cataloging our own defects of character. Mm. So we know that we are imperfect messengers of whatever we are saying. Yep. You know, I don't know, like there's that great quote, um, stick with those who seek the truth and run from those who claim to have found it. You know, Mm. you know, anyone who has certainty in matters of spirituality or even politics, anyone who has certainty. Yep. Because, I mean, the truth is, like, sometimes a a progressive solution is the one demanded. Yeah. And sometimes it's not. Right. You know, and I don't know. I, I, my heart is more progressive, like, in terms of, like, why don't we help people? This feels absurd to let people wither away on the street or, you know, cage children. That feels 
inhuman and yeah. horrible to me. And and I'm not saying, well, the other side of that is I don't think there's another side to caging children. Right. <laughs> like, I think it's no, totally it's terrible. But um sometimes there's probably been more austere conservative measures that maybe have worked at the local level or something like that. Like, I don't know. Right. I'm also not a politician. Yep. You know, I'm a storyteller and my job. And I think that one of the reasons that creative people get so outraged at something like the Trump administration is that our job is empathy. Our job is literally putting, stepping into the shoes of another person and, and thinking, what would it be like to be you? And I think that we have an empathy deficit in our country where people cannot see outside of their own experience. Yep. And and it's kind of the poison of capitalism is this idea that like more your triumph is my failure. Yep. Your more for you means less for me. Yep. There's this scarcity mindset yep. and there's also this idea that like I don't have to imagine what it's like to be you because I am me. Yep. And the me that I am is all that there is. Yep. And it's it's a it's a true failure of imagination that we're we're in the midst of. What what do you think about this? I think it's that people are, yeah. I go for the harsher. I, I go for the harsher judgment typically, uh, and, and I'm learning to not do that so much. But I think it's because people are lazy, and it takes a lot of work to understand people and things and ideas outside of our experience. I don't know that it takes a lot of work. It takes. Um dethroning yourself from the center of the universe 100 which which, yeah. which could be work to some people but it's more of like a psychological grind sure you know but it's also yes 100 that's a great observation but it, it, it's also like i'm thinking just on a practical day-to-day -day basis if i'm trying to understand why um if i'm trying to if i'm convinced that not all people that own guns are you know whatever trump supporting like belligerent, you know, the kind of people that we deplorables, want, deplorables, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, it's going to take work. I can say that I understand it. I can say that I believe, I believe they're not all like that, but then to really go find those people, because we all know them and then say, Hey, let's have a comp. Like, I really want to understand your thing. I want to understand why you feel the need to have a literally a closet full of guns. Like, what is it about that? Like, wh where did that come from? Did you go hunting when you were younger? Like, you went to the shooting range. Like, why? You know, a, why lot not of, pick a lot of them are Enneagram sixes. A lot of, I, I found this, like a okay. lot of the Trump supporters are security oriented types. Sure. So security above all else. Yeah. Safety. And those people are actually very manipulatable and very susceptible to like propaganda and strongman arguments yes like i alone can fix it yeah is like goes right into this the six's brain and it's like uh uh and also immigrants are taking your jobs immigrants yep. are raping your daughters yep. like all of that and is, none of that is true none of that is true yep. and but but the, you know we almost have to if, if you can have empathy for um someone's wound so like if someone is a six, their wound would be they didn't feel safe. Yep. Like in their youth or whatever. So if you can see almost their childlike wound and their need to to know that they're safe and that it's okay, mm. you know, there's I, I can even feel as I say that there's some tenderness that starts coming over me that I go, Oh, well, I I mean, I want to feel safe. Like I you know what I mean? We just have different ideas about how to do that. Yeah. I, I interrupted your larger point though. No, I'm uh I don't even know where I was going with that. But I I just I I I think it takes, like you said, dethroning yourself as the center of your universe. Yeah. But I and I also think it just takes work. That's what I found in conversations is like, and I don't even blame. Like I know people are 
tired and they have two jobs and they're paying off student loans and they've got kids and like it takes work to say because again you can say it you can believe not everybody's like this not all trump supporters are this way or not all hillary supporters are this way but then to actually go do the work of trying to understand that it takes time whether you're doing it through reading a book or listening to speeches or actually going to meet people and having those conversations over a meal over some beers or whatever that is me saying not just dethroning myself as the center of my universe but also saying i'm going to make i'm going to put this in my schedule mm-hmm. right and we and a lot i think too many people would rather just stay home and like whatever watch another movie or and maybe that's at certain points that's what you need to do and rest and chill but it just takes work and i think people are like well I don't know if I want to do all that work to truly understand where these people are coming from. It's also, it it takes like a heroic amount of empathy on some level to like, so the progressive people I know, like the Trump hating progressive coastal elites, which is, I hate that term, but the idea that Trump is a truly almost malignant force in our society and the people that support him are ignorant at best and conspiratorially complicit yep. at worst. Yep. That is a feeling among people that I know, and I certainly am acquainted mm-hmm. with it, that feels true in my bones. Mm-hmm. He feels like a bad human, mm-hmm. a terrible leader. Yeah. Um, but the people who are pro-life and love, uh, or, or anti-abortion rather. There you go. You know, I don't like that term. Yeah. But they're anti-abortion, anti-LGBT, want the court stacked with conservative justices, yep. um, uh, anti-immigrant, all this stuff. He is a hero to them. Like, he's an absolute hero. They're, he, they're the good guys and we're the bad guys. We're the wonky, uh, liberal, professorial poli- uh, language policers. Yep, no borders. Yeah, no yep. oh, open borders. Yep. George Soros funding everything, yeah. which is yeah. like the most. Yeah, he yeah, his money's everywhere. Yeah. Um, so, so they said he funded that, like he's funding CT, like Christianity Today, and it's like, oh, nope, nope, he's not. Yeah, definitely I not. Know. Absurd, absurd. He, he's he's um, a classic. You know, he's like the Rothschilds, like the the anti-Semitic boogie. They, every every era picks another Jew who's manipulating things. It's a classic anti-Semitic trope. It's just like yeah. absolutely time not honored, time disgraced. Yeah. But it's 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 always been this way. Anyway, um, so when you realize that they see us, I you know, as the evil ones yeah. and they are the good virtuous ones, you realize that like, oh, this is a massive divide. Yeah. Like this is a massive paradigmatic like it's 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 massive the, the 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 bridge or the chasm between the two sides one of the things that's been fascinating for me um i've worked i, I you know in very i don't want to go into specifics but I, like i've done some 12-step work right mm-hmm. and i don't drink but i pop into aa meetings every once in a while and i went with a relative of mine who's been sober a long time and he was in town in nashville mm-hmm. we went to a meeting in nashville and it was packed but it was filled with a lot of men. I'd say 75% of the men looked like they were at a MAGA rally. Like it looked like, you know, it was in Nashville, but it yep. looked like, and one guy was literally actually wearing a Trump sweatshirt, right? And I was, um, initially my judgment thing was going through the sure. roof. Yeah, right? I was just going like, blah, 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 blah. Yep. And then I sat there for an hour and I listened to all those guys share yep. and they all taught me something 
and they didn't say a word about politics because you don't talk about politics yep. there and you don't talk about your job there and you don't talk about religion there. Yep. You talk about trying to stay sober there. Yep. And especially the Trump sweatshirt guy, I, he he was my Buddha that day. Mm. He said some real smart things. Yeah. And some other some of these other guys said some blazingly insightful things that helped me spiritually. So I know yeah. that like if like if if I'm sitting across from let's say let's say someone's like really working like an AA program and they support Trump and they have tons of guns, but we're not allowed to talk about politics and we're not allowed to talk about religion. We're going to talk about um, spirituality, twelve steps, staying sober, what their wounds are, how they were addicted, how they've managed to to, to yep. stay on the straight and narrow. I'm going to have an interesting conversation with that person, and it's not going to be tense. It's there's going to be more points of connection between us than disconnection. Yep. I suspect. Um, and that's, what's so great about that container of that model, yep. which is like, we're going to, we're going to be a transformational model that's not ideological or dogmatic. I mean, you could say it's a bit dogmatic in terms of like, sure. there's things in there, but to me, you know, Richard's written beautifully about the 12 steps as being like, you know, Richard thinks that the, the 12 steps that Bill W conceived of are the great 20th century spiritual movement. You know, yeah, yeah. The do you know who Joel Stein is? He's a time columnist. Yeah, he's yeah. a friend of mine. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I just finished his book last night in defense of elitism. Yeah, that book was par for the course for where I want to head mentally, where I think I am heading, hopefully. And I've been reading a lot of books around that conversation. You know, he spent spent uh, you know a few day, a few week, couple weeks in Miami, Texas, and these, you know, a, a, a town of six hundred people where ninety five percent of the people. Uh, voted for Trump. There's only a few that didn't. And what he found, you know, he, he went there. In, in short, he went there sort of like scared. He went there to interview these people and get to know them. This was the this was the town where the most people had voted for Trump out of anywhere in the U.S., wow. Miami, Texas. And he found the exact opposite. He found friends for life. He found people that were just amazing. You know, they, they were definitely you know, hardcore Trump supporters and they had their reasons why and they had some, you know, ill-conceived notions about immigrants and guns and all the stuff, right? So they, they, there was some true things about them, but what he found was people that when you stop, he found people that weren't looking at their phones all the time. He found people that could sit on the porch and just like talk with people and it was a dry city. So nobody's getting like, nobody's getting drunk. You just over sweet tea and good meals. People were just being like living life together. Yeah, And it was the opposite of what, People in cities like, you know, New York, L.A., Nashville, you know, even though Nashville is in a very, you know, it's blue in a sea of red, like you, there are a lot of like snobby elite sort of people here sure. that do think that all Trump supporters are, you know, uh, like the Proud Boys, you know, they want to like fuck everybody up and like want to get. No, they're just they're sixes or whatever it is that mm -hmm. they believed they're they've they found their hero. They're good people. I'm I'm in 2020. I'm going to be pitch. I'm pitching a couple TV shows right now to a couple companies, and one of them is about. I want to like shorter form ones, shorter form shows that that episodes that are going to get get people. We're still figuring out the concept and the idea, but like getting people together that wouldn't normally get together, and to find all the, there's so much common ground that can be found there. There's so many ways that we can relate to each other, and there and it just takes time. It just takes a meal. It takes a few drinks. It takes the deliberate action of getting out of your 
friend group and your bubble yeah. and just going and being with people. Yeah. And here in the South, you don't have to go very far. Um, they're, they're everywhere, but they're not, when you get to meet them, you're like, oh, this is not, this is not a crazy person. They don't hate me. They don't yeah. even hate these people. They hate the idea that they've conjured up about these people or this idea, trans people, LGBTQ, immigrants, refugees, but they're not hateful people, you know? And I just think we have to do a much better job. Uh, I want to spend a couple minutes talking about how do we get through, in your view, you seem like a, you know, I followed you for years on social media. Like you don't get into the, you know, the shit throwing contests. You don't get into, you know, you're, you know, you, you have opinions and you talk about things. You're not, you also don't shy away from things, but you do it in a way that is very uh, respectful, empathetic of the other. And so I think we have something to learn from you. I hope, uh, you know, about how we get through this next year. Cause it's going to get crazy. It's already crazy <sighs> when things yeah. heat up. Like how do we not destroy ourselves? in this next year while still being engaged, while still being a, a, a group of people from all over the country and all over the world for let's give a damn that, you know, people that want to change, they want to have an impact. They want to move the needle. They want things to get better. So they're action oriented people by and large, but we're tired <laughs> yeah. and we're anxious yeah. about what's going to happen. Yeah. And do we have four more years of this? Uh, and there's also a lot of people that support Trump that listen to this podcast too, that love, yeah. that love, you know, the, the back and forth that we do. We have, I had David French. I don't know if you know who David French is, mm. um, a great thinker, but you know, conservative. We had him on a few weeks ago. I try to bring on a balance, you know, to not be too one-sided, but, um, yeah, how do we, how do we make it, dude? How do we get through this next year, uh, in a healthy way that actually moves the needle while not backing down on things that we really believe in. Mm -hmm. I mean, my short answer is I have no idea. Perfect. Like, I really have no yeah. idea. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't Maybe know. Maybe not we. How are you going to? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I could probably answer that a little easier if, if at all. But um, I mean, it's an interesting thing. Like, like you were talking about. Like, I think that just to go back to an earlier thing, I sure. think people... I think most of us think of ourselves as good people. Mm. I think this, the actual situation is much more complicated than that. Like, I think that we are endlessly complicated mm -hmm. and we are all capable of great heroic virtuous acts and capable of great ignorance, blind spots, um, cruelty, mm. indifference. Mm. So for me... <clears throat> I don't know if this is a, a, like a reflexive tendency towards guilt or something. So there's probably a shadow side to this, but like, I don't think of myself as a good person. I hope my feet are pointed in the direction of good. Mm. Like, and, and, and when I get off, I hope I rectify and, and return. Do, do you know that Pascal quote? Um, uh, all, all virtuous men believe they're sinners and all sinners believe they're virtuous men. Mm. You know, I think there's something, you know, when people say, I'm a good person. It's like, I don't know if that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean that by saying like, you're a complicated person. Totally. You're a human being. Yeah. So I think that like Trump supporters on the whole, like I know people whose parents are Trump supporters and they're like, they're fantastic parents. Yeah. Really good. Uh, my parents. Yeah. Really good parents. Yep. Love their kids. Would take a bullet for their kids. Amazing. Would do anything yeah. for their kids. Right. And they've listened to a man who undeniably has shouted 
racist rhetoric and have voted for him. Mm-hmm. So like those two things weirdly can coexist. Mm-hmm. A good a good person who would never be cruel to a, a person of color mm. on the street, mm-hmm. but have signed off on this, you know, dehumanization yep. language. Yep. I mean, it's a very interesting thing that those two can coexist. Yeah. And again, I'm not, I don't think Hillary was like this. I liked her, but I, I didn't think she was like this model of Same. where, yeah. you know, I thought she was better than. She would have been, she would be better than what we have or now. Or like, you sure. know, the, the thing about choosing between the two, lesser of two evils, it's like, yeah, choose less evil. Yeah. Like choose the every lesser, time. Every time, every choose time. less evil. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So anyway, I just want to say that like, like a pitch for this idea that like, I don't think people are good or bad. I think that in, uh, in a pinch, you know, when our back's up against the wall, some people, rise to the occasion yep. and some people don't. Yep. And sometimes you don't know what you're going to be. Like, like I, 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 you know, I have this, like what, how would I behave if, if, if there was a shooting? You know, would I, would I storm the, you know, I want to believe I'd be the hero. Yeah. <laughs> would storm, or would I do something so cowardly? Like, I don't know. Yeah. You don't know. I don't know. I don't know what kind of person I am and I'm scared to, I don't want to find out on some level in that scenario for certain. But, um, I just think we're, I just think we're a lot more complicated than we think. And, and, um, you know, even, even Trump's attempts to paint himself as this heroic martyr who's only done good for this country and is being Mm. attacked by the media and the elites is such a stupid, reductive fiction. Yeah. You know, that's not, even the idea that Obama was this messianic savior figure is also not true. hundred percent. You know, he, he killed a lot of people with drones and expanded a lot of wars and George W. Bush did a lot to help AIDS people you know people yep. suffering from aids in africa and he had a lot of people killed on his watch in in wars that were needless yep. so i just feel like things are more complicated and when i can keep that complication at the front of my mind it stops me from siloing or ghettoizing people into like oh you're this you're this you're this um good tree bad tree yeah. you know instead yeah. of just tree 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 yep. we're all trees yep. and we all make up this forest and we're all emitting you know oxygen so people can breathe and all this stuff so um in terms of like how I am on social media, on some level, my lack of getting my my hands dirty politically on social media, on some level, I want to cop to this as cowardice. One of the things that happened to me on social media, and I noticed this, I went on in 2012 on Twitter mm. to promote liberal arts, my second film. And I noticed this thing that, and this is a larger conversation. I don't want to get to, uh, lost on this rabbit hole, but... Um, People who watch How I Met Your Mother are so identified with me as that guy. So anything I say, people tend to, they're like, oh, that sounds like something. If I recommend a book, people are like, oh, Ted reads, you're like Ted yeah. or whatever. And it's, right. it's endless. Yep. It's endless. Yep. Or if I make a joke, it's like classic Schmosby, you know, this, <laughs> this, this high school nickname I had on the show. So I find it maddening to not have freedom to yeah. say whatever I want. So I tend to be, I'm a little more bold on Instagram just because I don't read those comments and it feels visual and different. Yep. But something yep. about Twitter, and it's it's weird because language is such a rich area for me that I, I wish I was more um, bold about tweeting. And I also am like, who cares? I wish I was, on, I wish I was on there less anyway. Yeah. I mean, truly, I wish I yeah. could pull away from there. But um, I find that when I offer something politically i'm inviting um either an attack on myself or some dust up that i don't know if i want to be in Mm. just psychically i don't know if i want to be in that that day like 
look, I'm not a, I, I, I loathe the NRA. I am not a gun person and I don't want all the gun people crowding my mentions for 24 hours, like just cause I don't want to deal with it. Yep. You know? So some of that is, like I said, it might be cowardice or laziness or something, but I also feel it's almost like why I never got a tattoo because I was like, there was never anything that I was like, I'm, I believe in this hundred percent and I will until the day I die. I, I think my mind is a little too elastic mm. where I think about something and I feel strongly about it. And then I'll go, well, I could also see the other side. Yeah. And I think that makes me a good artist and a good storyteller. And it makes me not a great pundit, you know, not a great polemicist. Sure. So when I talk about, I really feel like my areas of concern as a writer and as a person like I'm interested in I, the reason I love Richard Rohr is because he honors paradox. He honors mystery. Yep. Remember in universal Christ where he says he describes the kind of Christic path of descent and resurrection. Yep. yep. And he says, this has never been popular and it will never be popular. Yep. It's not at the center of our culture. Yep. The people who are at the center of culture, as far as I can tell, are like really planting a flag in something. Mm -hmm. And they're like, this is my belief. And, and I am, and you know, and the media will cover it. Cause it's like, it's, you know, I'm not going to grab as many headlines by saying um, we're all really complicated and dimensional and we're all heroes and villains. Yep. Like that's just not as sexy yep. <laughs> to say as you're the villain, Yep. you know, and I'm very uncomfortable saying you're the villain yeah. because I think, I think people are more complicated. I certainly know I am. And I also know that I am filled with folly. I am filled with impatience and arrogance and pride and, um, I procrastinate and I, like, I'm not, there's a great Keith Richards quote where he says, you know, you can tell me I'm great and I'll thank you, but I know I could be better, mm. you know? So Always. anytime someone's trying to, you know, deify me, worship me, tell me I'm great. It's like, follow me around for a day. Yeah. You're going to see yep. a guy who's like not killing yep. it the whole day, yep. you know? Yep. And, um, and the times where I feel like I'm dropped in and really doing it, it's like, it feels so good, but it's also like, how, how could I sustain this more? Um, I get, I get lazy. I get off. I lose the plot quite a bit. So for me to assume the mantle of righteousness, of piety, of a person who knows better yeah. than other people, I, I, I feel uncomfortable about doing that. That said, I write checks. I, I will go, you know, um, I'm friends with a congressman in California, uh, in Washington state, Derek Kilmer, who's awesome. Mm -hmm. I believe in him. If he asked me to come out there and do a fundraiser, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. You know, I, um, I support different organizations that I really believe. Um, I, you know, I support a, gr a girl's school in Afghanistan because I read Nick Kristoff and his wife's book about Love half the sky, mm -hmm. you know, about girls education. Like I believe in, um, you know what it is? It's like to use a gardening metaphor. I believe in getting the soil healthy mm. rather than like pruning the trees that are already, you know, there. Yeah. Like I think like if we can get to the soil and the soil is not, Trump is like a weird branch on a tree that like we grew some weird yep. thing. Yep. But like what's in the soil that's growing a Trump? What's growing people who are so manipulatable as to not see any immigrants for thousands of miles and think that immigrants are coming to take their yeah. jobs. Like why, why are they susceptible to those things? That's a soil question. Yep. So for me in my individual work, I've realized that, you know, it's almost like therapy or even ayahuasca, like where it feels like you're, you're hacking the mainframe. Yep. You're like going in and you're like, there's something in me that needs to be adjusted. I, I need to adjust the hardware here. 
And then I will be different if I do that. I'll be different in the world. And so culturally and collectively, how do we look at where do we get, how do we get to this place? Yep. I mean, I think it's a really big, it's a much bigger issue, which is essentially, I think when, when communism failed, you know, and the Soviet Union collapsed, there was this kind of acceptance like, oh, capitalism is now triumphant and forever. Yep. Capitalism won. It was the better ideology of the two. Now, that might be true on some level. And at the same time, we're also seeing a lot of rot of the capitalist uh, paradigm. Yeah. So when 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 a lot of millennials say they're open to socialism, they didn't live through the Cold War. Mm -mm. They don't, you know, and and I, I also am, you know, open to, you know, yeah. I love AOC. Yeah. I think she's badass, yeah. you know, and I, when I hear her, I agree with her a yeah. lot of most, I agree with almost everything she says, yep. you know. So um, I, I think that we have to look at new ways of being and also that there's something a little bit like our water is poisoned, you know, some places literally, but I mean that yeah. metaphorically, yeah. like we're drinking of poisoned water yep. and we're drinking of a system that says your success is my failure. My success is your failure. Yep. And that's as it should be. And that's as God intended. Yep. And it's like, no, I mean, Bre Brene Brown says that in her sermon, you know, that to be a good Christian, you have to stand up on the pulpit and critique systems yep. of oppression and, um, you know, inequality. And also people will say, oh, don't get too political yeah. from the pulpit. Mm. But like, how do you not get political? Jesus was political. Very. He was a political critic, like yep. a fierce social critic. Mm -hmm. So, and people that are covered in Jesus tattoos will tell you to shut up about that stuff. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know. I come back to, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know is totally fine because I think w one thing you did point out is, which is actually very on target with what kind of a transformation that's happening in Let's Give a Damn right now, which is I'm a high energy eight. Yeah. So I go automatically for myself and for others to let's do shit. Like, let's get going. There's yeah. stuff to do. Let's go. And I can skip over... Uh, the work, the groundwork that needs to be done, right? The looking at the soil, there's poison in the water. Like just figuring out why are we, why are we in the mess we're in? Yeah. Let's and and let's get healthy ourselves so that we can, you know. So one thing we're starting to say more is like the first step in giving a damn is you give a damn about yourself. Yeah. Right first, you gotta go there. You can't skip to three, which is the larger, broader world, others. Before you yourself have done a lot of groundwork, whether it's spiritual, mental, f physical, all of that. If I'm if I'm like, dude, you know, give me some of your tea, and you're like, well, there's only a little left. You know, if you give it to me, you're depleted, and I didn't get enough either. So we're both like screwed in that whole process. And then number two is give a damn about each other, and those are your people in your immediate sphere. Right. You know, the people that you're going to pour into them, they're going to pour into you. Right. Right. And only when you've done that in a healthy way. Can you, can you in a healthy way go out and take care of other people, others, give it in, but others, those people are not going to help you back. You're giving to them, whether it's, you know, building a school and, you know, girls school in Afghanistan, like that brings you so much joy, but they're not helping you back, right? right. Besides the, you know, there's the, the boost of like, I was able to do this, right? And so you, but you've got to be in a healthy place or else that's only going to last so long. Yeah. That's only going to be, that's a very temporary feeling. Yeah. And then you're like, oh shit, but my life sucks, you know, or right. I'm not healthy. I'm not in a good place. Right. And so a lot of that was super helpful because I think that is actually the work we need to do is not so much 
going out and doing a, like yes if we need to protest if we need to march if we need like definitely let's go vote everybody vote and be very involved in those ways but we have to start with realizing that we're all trees we all need to do more appreciating everyone and everything for what it is just because it's that way bent and not enough light and too much light and kind of broken and yeah. you know and just live in that space a little more and the best thing that I ever did, you mentioned Richard Rohr and just like how he's kind of embraced, not not recently, he's always been that way, but more and more it seems like embrace the mystery and the not knowing, yeah. right? Like my healthiest self ever has been realizing that most things in life are both and, oh, not yeah. either or. Yeah, yeah. And I lived, again, coming out of Christian fundamentalism, it was either or. Yeah. It was all these things and people and ideas are bad and we're good, and we're the remnant, and we're going to make it through, and we're going to be the few, the proud that make it through. Religion's a worthiness test, as Richard says. Yeah. Versus just realizing that like people are complicated. There is complexities that we'll never understand, and that should give us pause before we judge, before we tweet, before we, you know, go after this person for this idea that they might embrace, and maybe they don't even know why they're embracing it. Yeah. And just realizing that like there's nuances like till the till the day is over that we need to yeah. wrestle with versus making all these judge left and right far left and far right making these judgment calls yeah and being terrible to each other in life and online uh that's how we i think i mean i've had wonderful conversations this last year over meals i've made it more of a point to not have those conversations online do more of them in person have neighbors and friends over. Um, I I put a meal together with a an Iraqi refu- uh, an Iraqi an Iraqi Muslim refugee friend of mine here in town, Binyad. They were on their he and his family were on their way over on Muslim Band Day, January twenty seventh, two thousand sixteen, when they were all you know that day when he said no more in right right in these countries. So they had finally gotten all their sh- stuff together after years of trying to get here. They were in the Cairo airport and they got kicked off the plane and had to go back. Mm. Finally made it here. Wonderful family, and I had him across the 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 table from. We had a couple more progressive people, some conservatives. We had a, a Trump, a couple Trump supporters, and they got the whole night. Here's these people that, not that they would go to rallies, but if they were at a rally, they'd be hating on my friend Binyad. Yeah. And they they got along. It's, it's and hard still, to hate people you know. It's so hard. It's easy to hate people you don't know. Yeah. And it's also, you I think know, it's Brene that says uh, it's hard to hate people up close, isn't it? Or oh, I yeah. think, uh, in, anyway, yeah. Well, it's like, uh, didn't Stalin say, like, one death is a tragedy and a million deaths are a statistic? Yeah. You know? Wow. Yeah. But, but I also, to your earlier point, though, about taking care of yourself before you go, you know, it's hard to give away what you don't have. So if you want to give love, you better be feeling some love. Yeah. You know, if you, want people to be more compassionate like you have we have to first be compassion mm. that, that that's um you know the, the thing about we're not human doings we're human beings that's yep. kind of a ramdas thing you know mm-hmm. can you be the thing mm-hmm. can you embody it because you know a kind word or a kind glance like this is what changes people's hearts you know i just i i guess i would believe more in Twitter political showdowns. If I saw people being converted, if hearts and minds were being converted, yeah, and, and it doesn't exist, and and and, and also we've seen, um, and this is really scary, the death of facts that people don't believe that that one of the things there's been an uh, an assault on truth and accountability, and um, so so when people are literally presented with with peer reviewed facts, 
they have some sort of weird escape clause where they can say that's not true. Yep. George Soros funded that. That's not true. Yep. Um, and that's really scary. I, I think about like these deep fakes that are going to come out, you oh, know, man. videos of people saying and doing things they never said and did. Yep. It's really freaky. Yep. Um, very scary. Very scary. We, we don't even know what, yeah, which is why we have to do the work now of pausing, right? Getting people to pause. And, you know, I loved, I, I didn't know, I mean, I've, I've seen Ram Dass in like videos and whatever, but you know, these last years, like just being very slow because he had to, Yeah, I don't need help. Like getting, and then, and then it causes the listener or the reader, whatever it is, if it's on to, to just like slow down and not, not rush to a conclusion. Yeah. We have to do a whole lot more of that in yeah. this next season, I think. Um, okay. Let's begin to wrap up. You've been very patient. This is a, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, we won't talk about Rise. I will just say that I'm really sad that's not a show. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a show that felt necessary to me. It oh, was my a, God. It was a really good antidote to some of the madness. And, um, you know, it was... Um, it, it actually had a really rabid and growing fan base. Yeah. It, 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 I, I have no doubt it would have been, like, a mid-sized kind of hit. Like yeah. It would have been a really... Yeah. Um, and for some reason, at the last minute, you know, I know it was going to get picked up. And then for some reason, they, you know, they picked up a show that now no longer exists also. Yeah. So it was just a, a corporate, um, you know, uh, what's the word? Like, you know, collateral damage of, of a larger kind of corporate reshuffling and everything. But I, I dearly loved that show. And I cared about, I mean, I... I a show about a bunch of high school kids, like in a drama yeah. department, yep. working through it. Like that it's was like my throwback own. to your like upbringing. hundred percent. Is that part of the reason why you took the role? Yeah, I understood. Well, I love Jason Kadams. Yep. And he really wanted me for the role, and I felt like I, I kind of think this is like, I kind of think I can do this role better than anyone else. Like, like I, there are certain roles that I, I feel like, yeah, ten other guys could do this. Yeah. You know, and then there's other roles, and I'm like, no, That's I understand me. the Midwestern yep. drama teacher. Yep. Like, I understand this world. I grew up in this world. I came of age in this world. I really understood it. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a bummer. I have a new show coming out um, in February on Amazon called Hunters. That awesome is like a Nazi hunting show with Al Pacino. That's like couldn't be more different from Rise. Yeah, but I'm playing not this, even in the same planet. I'm playing this 1970s coke addict movie star named Lonnie Flash who also kills Nazis. So you know, I think I saw I saw and I think I saw a trailer. You have a mustache in this yeah, thing. Yeah, it chops. Yeah, it looks, it looks amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was super cool. Um, what else are you working on that people should know about? So we've got the, we'll link to your newsletters, which yeah. are fantastic. Obviously follow Josh on social media, hunters, hunters, yeah. hunters plural. on uh, Amazon prime, on Amazon February. prime. Can people still watch rise? Is that, on I don't know if anywhere? it's streaming anywhere. It might be streaming on Hulu or something well, like that. Go, f go find the show. People, there's it 10 episodes. 10 episodes. Really good, yeah. We were really sad. It was just, a, I mean, we we're also a big, uh, like Broadway musical family, that's all we listen to in the home. Like our kids know, they don't know half the pop artists out there or even a quarter of them, but they know they can all, sing all the, Hades they know all, <laughs> literally, they love Hades Town. Yeah. Come from away this last year and uh, everything. Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. That's where they learned uh, one of the first times they heard fucking shit over and over again was with Dear Evan Hansen. And, and we couldn't. Uh, yeah. It's, There's it's no going art. back. It's you art. Can't. You got to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not going to. We're not going to play the muted version of that. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, what else? Some newsletters and anything uh, ben else coming and I, up? Ben and I have uh, yes, the new Radner and Lee record, which we're trying to figure out how to, how best to release. We're a little behind the ball on it, but the record's done, and I love it. 
awesome. It's, it's a big leap forward, I think, artistically from our first record. And um, and I'm going to put out some solo stuff. I have an EP probably that'll come out. And um, I have a bunch of film products projects in various states of development. Amazing. I, I've just, I've, I, you know, I directed two films that were just great joys of my life. And um, people really responded to them. And I just haven't been able to direct a film in so long because... Once I got off How I Met Your Mother, it was weird. Like I, I had this eight months or seven and a half months and then four and a half months to kind of do what I I knew. It was almost like having a school schedule. I had yeah. like this proper long summer break. And now it's just gotten a little confusing. I've just been acting so much, which has been great and making so much music um, that uh, it's a little it's a little confusing about trying to find the window and when a project's ready to go. And I'm probably overly thinking about it. But I'm, I, I'm, I'm, my plan is to make many more movies. That's amazing. You're good at it. Thanks. Uh, last question. This one is, is this fun- about porn. No. Well, we, we didn't get to the porn. We Basically, can talk about it if you want. Well, let's do a couple minutes then. Yeah. So, yeah. so w- what what I want to talk about is I'm I'm always I'm very interested in uh, becoming the best version, pushing people to be the best version of themselves. Yeah. And porn does not do that to anybody. It doesn't do. That. I don't even know if you're. This was four years ago. If I still you, don't if, watch porn. If you're going to be in the same place as you were yeah, last yeah, yeah. time. But you you told Pete, and, and Pete's very open about his, I don't know now that he has a kid and, you know, he's married. Uh, like, I don't know if he still is super into it or if he's like toned it down. I know he was talking about, he at least realized, he was back in a state of realizing when you guys talked 2015, he had gone back and forth and he, was, he wasn't saying like it was wrong, but he was saying like, it's not it's good not, for it's me. It's not me at my best. It's I not me at my did. best. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So- Porn is just one of those things that I think we don't, nobody wants to talk about it because people do it behind closed doors. They do it at night and in the morning and whatever. They, nobody's talking about yeah. it, but everybody's doing it. Uh, I, by I, I don't know that everyone's doing it. I, I I think that statement is problematic. Okay. Because what it does is it is it normalizes something that doesn't have to be normal. So so I it bothered me when everyone said like, oh, everyone watches porn. Yeah. Because I was like, well, I made a decision not to watch porn. Yeah. And I haven't watched it in And there's a lots decade. of people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A decade. Yeah. Okay, was it easy for you to? So my story is like most boys, like started watching porn as soon as I could. Yeah, and uh, you know it it's it's kind of a you know I'm happily super happily married for eleven years, three kids, love my wife more than anything and anyone, and then it creeps up every once in a while, you know, when yeah. things get like stressful, like I'll, yeah. you know, kind of like very many relapses, and then I, she and I talk about it, and you know, back on back on track or whatever. Right, right, right. And because I don't. You know, it, it's one of those things that is so it's one of the very few things in life, like more than almost anything, even more than like food and drink that feels so good in the moment. You know, like you're having this meal and then if you eat too much, you feel like shit yeah. more than any other example I could think of. Porn like feels so good in the moment. But before and after, you're no better. You're worse yeah. off, yeah. I think. Yeah. And you never there's never in there's never in enjoyment, even literally. Um, I, 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 I heard Matthew Perry. Matthew Perry, right? From, from Friends. Friends yeah. yeah. He was doing some talk show and he talked about like back in the day he was looking at he, he this story he was telling about looking at porn. And but he pointed out even like on he's like, I look at porn all the time. But he pointed out that it's one of those things that like as soon as it's over, like you're done. Like everything, it's like obviously for, for various reasons you're done. Yeah. But like you don't even like you no longer five seconds ago this thing was amazing. Yeah. And then five seconds later it's like, ew. Like yeah, what am I yeah. doing? Let's go, let's on clear with, the evidence. Yeah. Exactly. Like let's let's move on. Let's not talk about or think about this again. So that's sort of where I'm at. Where even as just a, a person who wants to live a moral life as a Christian, like I want to honor my, I want to honor these people, right? Yeah, yeah. These people that 
you know, we can have conversations all day long about the dignity or lack thereof of this profession. But we have plenty of stories of people that have made it out. Yeah. These women that have lots of women that have come out of this industry and and they talk about the terribleness of it, not just how they're treated, how they feel about it. Um, uh, and there's just a lot of indication that this is not something that we should be participating in. You're very correct to push back and say not everybody's doing it. I know a lot of people. I'm one of them that has said no, not without failure, but like, no, I'm not. I don't want to partake in that. There's also like the no FAP movement is kind yep. of a, you know, really interesting. Um, and I, I gave an interview with that that organization, Fight the New Drug. Yep. Um, and I, I, I just I'm very interested in people who are looking at their relationship to it, mm. because for me, you know, I, I like I remember like the Playboys and the penthouses. I was I grew up. I I, I got you know my sexual awakening was pre-internet, so yeah, it same was here. it was more you know pictures you could find yeah. or whatever. And my friend's dad had some VCR tapes, and I remember the first time I saw it, just like my eyes popping out of my head. Yeah, and I and I asked to borrow the tape, which I remember I used your to, friend or him, my friend's dad. You asked him, yeah. So I think I had one of these tapes and when the house was very clear, yep. you know, I would throw it in. But um, I, I, I feel like for me, um, it was, I, well, one of the things happened, I was, I was dating this woman and she was gorgeous and super sexy to me. And we had, we were in a really good place and I really was very attracted to her. And I remember wanting her to leave the apartment so I could watch porn. And I remember just being startled by that. Yeah, you like have this, feeling like, yeah. wait, why do I, why am I more interested in this virtual thing than in this real thing of which I really am happy? Yep. Um, but, but more than that, I could see that when I was watching porn, my brain was like cracked out on it. Yeah. And my brain, it was rewiring my brain in a way that I didn't like. And I also found that when I was out on the street, I was almost sexualizing every woman. Everyone. Everyone. Yep. Old women. Like, like, yep. like, like young women. Like, it was just not in a creepy way. But you know what no, I mean? Yeah. It just, it made everything sex. It gave it yep. sexual tint or gloss to things that didn't merit it at yep. all. And I found, um, it, it it acted like some kind of drug in my system mm -hmm. that I, like all drugs, not all drugs, but like like a drug that did boost me up and made me feel a certain thing for a while it lasted. And then the hangover was pretty intense. And I think I stopped in maybe 2009. And then I went to Spain and I had like a two-day relapse with it. And I remember that was the last time I watched it. Mm. But I'm so, I'm so ferocious, ferocious in my own... Uh, world around porn like if I walked into some place and there was like porn play like I would avert my eyes yeah like, like it's something that I don't want and and I will say that like I love naked women you know and I'm a big fan of sex like I'm a sex positive person but for me the the experience of it it, it almost like increased a sense of loneliness or isolation in my life and I had to I just made a decision this is not going to be a part of my life yeah. much like you know, I've had a similar, you know, I've gone a little more back and forth, but I have a similar thing around alcohol mm. where like alcohol just wasn't bringing out the best version of me. Mm. And, um, and I think, I, you know, as a man in America, like healing around sex is a really big task mm -hmm. because we're so sexualized and socialized around this kind of 
you know, just these tired tropes around conquest and what does it mean to be a man? And, yep. you know, th- there's some really interesting stuff on the difference between a real man and a good man. Mm. You know, a real man is like this kind of receipt. Like Trump's idea of a real man is so laughably... It's silly. It's gross. It's gross and yep. silly and alpha and stupid. Yep. Like I think it's stupid, and I actually think it's a it's a mask for deep weakness and insecurity. Hundred percent. Whereas a good man is like, no, I show up. I show yep. up for show people. Show up, faithful, yeah, generous, exactly. Yep. And um, to me, I really sounds like you. Like I long to be a good man. Yeah. And sometimes I am there, and a lot of times I'm not. But like I said, my feet are, I hope, pointed in that direction. And there was something about. Being a porn watcher, which is like a secret porn watcher, because everyone's a secret porn yep. watcher, yep. that felt like I was betraying that good man. Like it felt like I totally. was I was betraying yeah. the, the, the good better version of me that could be. And I don't do a lot of tisk tisking. Like I don't condemn people who watch it. But if people want to have a real conversation about the ethics around it, I mean, look, there's one thing which we're discussing, which is just like my own personal sure. nervous system and how it relates yep. to that. Then the, another thing is, um, and you know, I know there's like there's like ethical porn, and there's like there's all sorts of different right. ways to consume it. Yeah. But by and large, you know, I watched the Rashida Jones documentary, yep. and it's just like it looks like this this um, you know repository for for abused and traumatized mm. young girls to like make a quick buck, and they're out of it in a couple months because they're really hurt by yep. it, and and it just feels like energetically, you know, is my watching that free video or whatever. Like, is that harming these girls literally? Because the video is going to be up whether I watch it or not. But energetically, it feels like I am contributing with my energy and focus and time watching that. I'm contributing to this kind of degradation. Yeah. You know, and again, I don't want to get into moral theological arguments around this. That's a whole, yes. Because I, I feel that's up to you. But for me... I thought as a visible person, it was worth going on the record about this because it's something that I felt really strongly about. And I I also had stabilized to the point where I thought, I'm not going to, you know, like in AA, they say, like, don't talk about your drinking because maybe you'll go drinking sure. again and it'll look like AA failed. Yep. But I felt stabilized enough that, you know what, I really believed in it. And if, and, and I had a bunch of, I've had a bunch of people who still reach out to me and say, I'm really struggling with this. And it really helped me to hear you say this. So I, I, I like being one of these lone voices in the wilderness. And yeah. sometimes I worry that it makes me into some sort of like prude or, you know, people will think I'm some goody goody. It's not that like, like I understand the charms of porn. Like yeah. I get it. I get why yeah. it's, I get why it hooks people. And, and I believe porn addiction is a real thing. Totally. And I wasn't there, but I know a lot of people who really battle it. You know, yeah. I have a friend who started watching it like 10, nine or 10 and he's in his twenties and it's like, he can't string together more than like two weeks without it. And it and it's it's a it's a trauma in his life. Like he he doesn't want to be watching it anymore. Yeah. And it's an absolute by by every standard we classify an addiction, it's yeah. addictive. Yeah. So I think it's just a little more, you know, it's almost like we were all, you know, our parents were all smoking cigarettes in the fifties and sixties and seventies. And then we look back and we're like, you could smoke on airplanes. Like I sometimes wonder if we'll be like that with our cell phones. Like you just had your cell phone in your pocket. Like our, you know, yeah. you know, next not other generations mm-hmm. will will this be like smoking? And I think I think that that porn 
it might we might look back on it and be like, oh my God, you guys were doing that? Like yeah. you were putting that into your psyche? Yeah. And it's hard to erase. I Look, I haven't watched porn in 11 years and I still remember some things. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? That's totally. not going anywhere. No, yeah. So, they're they're in, in, in grave. And I didn't even go that, I didn't go into some weird stuff. Like I watched like pretty traditional, <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's um, and also so much of it is, is, is the basis of it is, you know, this kind of punishing of women, this, this humiliation and degradation of women. And uh, yep. I also didn't want to be a part of that. Yep. I have my own. I, I'm working on so much around my relationship to the masculine and the feminine, both both other women and my own kind of balanced polarities. Yeah. Like, man, talk about something that would throw a curveball into that. That would not be helpful. Yep. Is me me being like a habitual porn watcher. Yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. Like, I, I actually feel like it was a kind of grace that got it out of my life Yeah, because I made a decision and I just have stuck with it. That's great. Yeah. yeah I just think, yeah, again, knock on wood for sure. I think it's just, uh, aside from the moral religious component, if there is that, or, or just you saying, I don't want to be, there's the time there's the, it's a, it's a time waster, right? Yeah. Like for people like the listeners that want to maximize, and even I'm not saying we always have to doing something, but just max it. We only have, a short amount of time on the earth, yeah. right? I talk about death all the time and I, I think about it and it drives me to be a better whole person. But like we only have, enough, we only have so much time every yeah. day. Do we want to be spending that involved in something that is questionable at the very least and harmful? And we don't even know if this person is wanting to be doing this thing. And, yeah. uh, you know, all, all the things that we just talked about. So I just think it, it to be a person that lives a meaningful life Porn just doesn't have a place there. Yeah, and I, I also I think, think I think that I agree with you, and I and I, and I could also I'd be fully fine someone disagreeing with us. You know what I mean? Like, but I, but for me, adulthood has been this kind of um, I'm like twisting the knobs of my experience. Like, oh, when I do this, I feel this oh, sure. way, and when yeah. I do this, I feel this way. Yep. Like, you know, you're like, oh, I guess like having an, a large pizza by myself at midnight is not something that's going to make me feel good. Like, yeah. so you don't do that anymore yeah. or you do that once a year or yeah. whatever. And for me, I just had to go, okay, like when alcohol is in my life, my life is worse. Mm. When porn is in my life, my life is worse. Mm -hmm. So if I'm interested in um, maximizing my time here and, and I don't mean kind of a, you know, like, um, obsessive no, you know sure. uh, american way yeah. i just mean literally the quality and quality sweetness of, yeah. of my life yep. if i'm interested in in increasing that um another thing porn does is it makes me less present because my mind is elsewhere oh, sure. yeah. right so yeah. my mind is going back to the thing or thinking about getting back to the, the next thing, time the, the next, next time, time. Yep. so it 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 you know, if we hadn't talked about porn, I wouldn't have thought about porn this whole conversation. Yeah. You know, you're welcome. Yeah. I guess. So, 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 Sorry. no, but, it, but I, I think it's a really valuable conversation to have around for men to have that are not, um, that are, it's not, uh, religious. It's not shaming. Yeah. It's not a moral question. It's literally like, this can be dangerous for certain fragile psyches. And it, and for me, it ate up a lot of um, psychic energy and emotional and spiritual and psychological and spiritual energy. And um, it, I made a decision and I've never regretted it. Yeah. And if anyone wants go. to talk about that, I'm, I'm willing to have that conversation with them. There you go. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, last question. Yeah. There's one whole, maybe another time, some other month or year, we can, I have a, I have a whole lot of questions about, maybe it was in the Pete Holmes when you talked about 
essentially minimalism. You talked about how you live a very modest life and you don't own a lot of things and you find yourself giving things away. That's a whole other conversation, I think. Um, but we'll leave that for some other time. There's a lot that I didn't get in that I didn't get to. But this question is one. Hey, I saw on your Instagram. Did people write in questions? Uh, I haven't even checked. Oh, you haven't checked? No. Okay, okay. Maybe I'll. I'll. Yeah. I, I didn't check. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, but thank you for seeing that. Um, so this last question is one that I ask everybody. Every interview I've ever done. This is how we wrap up. And funny enough, you already addressed some of it in the beginning because we we're talking about spirituality and Ramdas and legacy and kind of end of life and eulogy and stuff. I always finish with this because it, 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 it's, a, it's a good bow on our conversation, bow on the top of our conversation, but it also is, um, to me, this is the question because I want to live a meaningful life. Uh, again, quality of life, not always hustling, but quality of life. I want to live a meaningful life. I want to have a, 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 a meaningful legacy, a valuable legacy. Yeah. So the scenario is you're dead in a lot of years, and for some odd reason, I have been asked to give your eulogy. And all of your friends and family and the people you've impacted, both in a philanthropic way and your neighbors and your friends, and they're all there to honor, uh, celebrate, and mourn your life. And again, I've been asked to give your eulogy. What do you hope, in a few sentences, what do you hope that I would say about you on that day 50, 60 years from now? Well, I feel like so much of my life has been about forging connections mm. and about collaborating with people to tell stories that connect. Mm. Um, so I feel like the, the greatest kind of, you know, eulogy sentence about me would be um, like he made me feel less alone. Mm. That, that somehow my life stood as some antidote to isolation or dehumanization mm. or disconnection. That, um, yeah, that his work and, and his words made me feel less alone. And friendship, you know, people I know. Um, I'm really, I'm really, I, you know, I'm scared of people and I'm scared of intimacy in, in all sorts of garden variety ways. Sure. And I long for those things mm. very deeply. So, you know, it's about the, my individual work, my work is um, getting in touch with like where those blocks are and seeing if I can let them fall and then extending a hand to someone else and saying like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm headed this way, like kind of metaphorically, like if you're walking, I'll walk with you, mm. you know, not yeah. in front of you, yeah. not behind you, like I'll walk with beside you. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm interested in, in community and connection and, 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 and being a kind of antidote to the modern scourge of loneliness, which, which I, I feel, you know, sometimes, I mean, I have a deep bench of friends and community and family. Like I'm, I'm surrounded by, I'm blessed with people and I can still feel, I can still get isolated. And so in some ways I feel like making art is almost like sending up a flare gun into the sky and saying like, is anyone out there? Yeah. Is anyone having these feelings? Yeah. And the, the greatest thing about the newsletters is like, yeah, a lot of people are having these feelings. A lot of people um, appreciate hearing about like mercy, grace, and forgiveness. They yeah. appreciate hearing. Yeah, last it. one was beautiful. Oh, thanks. They appreciate hearing about sorrow. 
and sadness as being this kind of ne- grief being this necessary inevitable part of life and how that can grow us you know they like hearing about someone who looks successful feeling like a failure or that it's not enough mm-hmm. um so i guess you know being authentic vulnerable the kind of brene brown stuff you know we connect at the vulnerability at the wound yep yep and and all of that if if i can if i can if i have people watching or listening and some visibility like i can be honest in um in ways that feel comfortable to me and people will say huh i felt that too i i guess i'm not alone yeah you know i guess i'm not alone that it's what's what's beautiful about that question is i have a lot of amazing people on this show high achievers you know chelsea clinton and people that have done a lot and seen a lot and experienced a lot and you would think that asking that question to that kind of person or yourself, you know, you've done so much and your your body of work is so broad that it would be something more more like moonshot, like pie in the sky, like big idea. Like mm. I want to – and going back to the resume questions versus eulogy questions, like – right? Is, was that the – Resume virtues and Resume eulogy. virtues and eulogy. Yeah. Like – when people are pushed, high achievers and non-high achievers alike, like at the end of the day, we don't want you don't want to be known that that you were part of you know a long-running you know famous sitcom, right? You, your legacy will not involve like people recognized me, they knew who I was, and that felt really damn good. No, it's I want to make people feel less lonely. Like that's that's a legacy worth living. It's so it's it's simple, but also like super profound. And that's harder to do than getting on a nine-season show, I think, to do that in a long-term, like, long-trajectory kind of way. Yeah. I also think, you know, uh, I, I sometimes look at, you know, when you're in New York or something and you – or Europe, right? And you see these war heroes, like, on their horses, on these statues. Yeah, yeah. Or a street is named after someone. I mean, these were probably, you know, enormous public figures that were very well-respected. And like in a hundred years, no one remembers anyone. Yep. Like, n- n- it, so the idea that you're going to have like some posterity or some fame that lasts, I, it doesn't feel like it more feels like, like I, I try to remember that a really nourishing conversation. Like if someone reaches out to me and they're really hurting, I mean, even, you know, people I know even, yeah, yeah. and I'm able to be a good friend to them. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's just as consequential as being like a civil war general, if not more, y- you know, like yeah. I, I, I think that there's, there's a modesty to what we can do and that, that that's necessary and it's good that it's, um, yeah, like whoever listens to this, like, I really feel like if, if a couple people hear this conversation, and something fires off in them that that really alters the course of their day, week, life. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've done our work, yep. y- you know, and yep. we've done good work. Yep. And the, the 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 curious thing for me is that I was on this show that millions of people watched, mm-hmm. and then now I'm making work. You know, my films were you know they did really well at Sundance, but they had modest audiences, but people still mm-hmm. watch them. And mm-hmm. my TV shows have um, my TV shows since How I Met Your Mother. I've done three. You know, I don't know how Hunters is going to be, but like they've all been kind of modest. I I have many people that subscribe to the newsletters, but it's not a million people. Yeah. So I've, I I like um, the opportunity to reach more people, but like I don't have to be Beyonce. Like I don't I don't I don't know that what I'm um, offering yeah 
like much what Richard says about, you know, the Christic kind of thing. And I'm not saying I'm offering that, but I'm saying like th that there's something more modest in scale about what I'm offering, which is this, it's more of a whisper and mm. it's more of a like hug <laughs> and it's more of a like high five or a, I'm trying to think of something more metaphorical, but it's more of a, like a friendly, a friend's sharing at a very deep, intimate level. Um, and a lot of my movies are about friendship and about connection. And so I, I, I don't know that I think our scale is off in terms of thinking what our impact totally. needs to be or should yeah. be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think, and we're also seeing, you know, passion, like a little, you know, a teenage girl, like striking for climate, you know, from her school with a Dude, sign, yeah, like can change everything. One so, year later and she's a household name. Yeah, we yeah. don't know. Yeah. We don't know. And and again, I don't think we need to be household names to affect. Because nope. I think, I think, um, again, this is like kind of theological, but I think like God or angels or whatever trans-dimensional force is kind of present is very warmed and heartened by kindness in small acts. Yeah. And that they it's don't... It's being faithful in the everyday little yeah, things. Yeah, That's where holiness, I think, I agree. really is revealed, is in the everyday. It's in the grocery store checkout. You know, it's in the parking spot dispute. Yeah. Like, like that's yep. where... That, that's where Christ, <laughs> you know, matter and spirit 100%. meet. Yeah. And can we... That. Yeah, like, can we... Um, can we dethrone ourselves? I think mm. it comes back to that. And and all of this is to say, like, I I'm not an expert at this. Yeah. This is a this is a day-to-day, -day, you know, thing that I'm learning. I love it. On that note, let's finish this thing. All right. Josh Radner, thank you so much for joining us. I'm this glad we made super, this work. We've been yeah. trying to make this work for like a year and a half. Uh, yeah, a long Every time. Every time, yeah, when I'd go to New York, are you gonna be in New York? Yeah. And then we'd miss each other and then LA and back and forth. So now we did it here in Nashville. But it's funny that I just like I think you saw on social media that I was coming to Nashville for yeah. a couple weeks. You're like, uh, I live here. Yeah, <laughs> Let's I'm here. Do it. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks yeah. so much. This was awesome. It was really good talking to you. There you have it, friends. Many thanks to Josh Radner for spending some time with me and us on the Let's Give a Damn podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about this conversation, you can find me anywhere on the socials, Nick Lapara or Let's Give a Damn. And you please make sure to follow Josh on social media. Just type in his name and he'll pop right up because he's famous. He's a great follow. He will challenge you. He will share music with you and he will share insightful shit with you. Guaranteed. He's a very smart, thoughtful guy, always sharing really cool stuff. This show was created by me. The music is by our friend Propaganda. Please share this episode with people you like and with people you don't like. Just make sure you share it. We put a lot of time and love into these podcast episodes and we want to make sure to get them to as many damn givers as possible. Just a reminder that it will take you less than 15 seconds to hit the share button in your podcast app, copy the link, send it to a friend right now. And many thanks to The Russell, a boutique amazing hotel in Nashville that let us use their podcast studio for this conversation. If you're ever in Nashville, please stay at The Russell because this is something you may not know. If you stay there, a portion of your the costs for you staying there for one night will go to local shelters and charities in the city that help relieve the pain and the suffering in our homeless population in nashville they have a rooms for rooms project going on so please stay in the, at the russell it's a great it's a great space to stay in and you'll be helping the homeless people of nashville as well 
I can't wait to spend time with you next week. So much love and peace to each and every one of you. Bye for now.